Welcome to It Came from It Came from Cleveland, episode 15. We've got some fun catch-up to do uh, on some birthdays, some June, July uh, stuff, and uh, of course we're we're going to be talking about uh, uh, two big big mainstays uh, of of Hollywood tonight, and then uh, and actually most of the people we're talking about are still alive. Uh, including June Lockhart. Joe, uh, Joe you're going to talk about June Lockhart uh, later on in the program. If he unmutes, he can't. That, that I, <laughs> that I, <laughs> that I am. If I, if I'm not muted. <laughs> yes. There you go. And uh, and Michelle, uh, you pointed out to me that hey, it was uh, the one and only Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon uh, have birthdays. Uh, in the, on the same day. Year. On the same day. There you go. So there's one degree of Kevin Bacon there. So, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, J- I'm sorry, Miles, you're going to be uh, doing a deep dive into a classic Star Trek episode tonight. Very excited about that one. Yep, yep. So I got my my Horta is uh, all all on the edge of its seat, um, and. <laughs> And of course, uh, we're, we'll also be talking about uh, someone else who had a birthday in June, uh, Melora Hardin, who is best known as Jan on The Office. She got her start in uh, as a child actor, and I have a, an amazing television episode we're going to talk about in a little while. Uh, but before we do, um, when Michelle mentioned Tom Hanks, I immediately said, I got to talk about mazes and monsters. And she, and, and I think you were so, said something like, Oh God. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, something along those lines. So, uh, but this in the reason why I wanted to, to talk about this and, and the, well, it's an episode of Quincy that I'm going to be talking about later is that with these two shows were uh, well, Mazes and Monsters was a made-for-television film, uh, and and it was basically trying to demonize Dungeons and Dragons, and then the Quincy episode I'm gonna play later tried to demonize punk rock, so it's like you know scare you know scare television, uh, and, and and it's it, it's irresponsible and it's stupid, and the Quincy one is so offensive to me <laughs> versus the Mazes and Monsters, but the Mazes and Monsters one is fun. It's a movie I remember seeing when I was a kid, and it it had me scared uh, of of Dungeons and Dragons. Well, but, it it covered a topic of something that 
might happen with somebody who has a certain mental break, but it really ticked us game players off. Mm -hmm. We were not happy. And, you know, parents were going nuts over it, thinking that that's what's going to happen to all their children. And we were not amused. Yeah. So, (laughs) so this is all kind of like, you know, tentacles uh, of the, the satanic panic uh, that, you know, were, they, they were, you know, freaking out about movies and, you know, even cartoons and, you know, games and, and music. And it was just irresponsible and, and stupid. But um, uh, but Mazes and Monsters, well, we have a, a news report, everyone. This is Bud Hayden, live from Pequod Carpets, where I'll be reporting on the apparent disappearance of a Grant University student, the victim of a seemingly innocent game, Mazes and Monsters. Now, Mazes and Monsters is a fantasy role-playing game in which the players create an imaginary character. These characters are then plunged into a fantasy world of invented terrors. The point of the game is to amass a fortune without being killed. It's kind of a psychodrama, you might say, where these people deal with problems in their lives by acting them out. But in this case, there might be a loss of distinction between reality and fantasy and possibly the loss of life in the process. We'll be back in three minutes with another live report. Oh, not sensationalized at all. Uh, well, this was kind of a flash forward to about the middle of the movie, but, but it opens up with this. They're searching for uh, Tom Hanks' character, who who apparently has gone missing in uh, a, a dangerous uh, set of caves. But why caves? Why on earth would would a young man uh, be in a cave if he's just playing a, a role playing game? Well, there's a reason for that. And, yeah. uh, but yeah, so uh, Tom Hanks' character's name is, uh, Billy, I believe. No, Robbie, Robbie. And, uh, he, uh, so basically the, the movie starts off introducing all the different characters, uh, you know, of the, the, uh, the gaming group, the four members of the gaming group. And, um, it's basically a whole bunch of, uh, um, you know, poor, little rich kid stories you know and and it's like i'm looking at it, it's like it, it's it, you know it's so unrelatable because it's like oh these poor kids they're going to college and their parents just don't understand them you know and uh but uh yeah so the uh, so we 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 meet the the main uh uh uh, players of the game, and that's uh, uh, Kate, Daniel, and JJ, and uh, they are short a player once they get to college, and then they find Robbie Wheeling, who is played by Tom Hanks, and uh, I'm not familiar with the other actors' names. Wendy Crewson played Kate Finch, David uh, Wysocki played Daniel, and Chris Makepeace played JJ. Um, they do have Wikipedia entries, but I'm um, yeah, not really that interested in it. So yeah, they uh, you know so so they're looking for you know another member, and uh, they they find Tom Hanks, and uh, they um, uh, you know they 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 start a session. They introduce their characters and everything, and Tom Hanks' character is um, oh gosh, what what's the name? I, I'm I'm scrolling through the uh, through the article here. Uh, but, uh, well, whatever his, his, he plays, his character's a holy man. The name will be mentioned later 
in the audio clips. But um, I believe it's JJ's character at one point. Uh, uh, the worst game master ever. Well, I'm sorry. It's the maze controller, not the dungeon master, Miles. You might be confused. It's the maze controller. <laughs> <laughs> so the maze controller, um, it, you know, uh, he basically lets one of the characters fall into a trap and die. And th this is how that, that goes. He blindly stumbled face to face with a dozen bloodthirsty undead. <laughs> however, however, between you and the evil undead is a deep pit, where at the very bottom you can see just a faint glitter. It could be a legendary treasure of the Generac, or it could be a trap. Freelick jumps into the pit to gather the treasure. How much does Freelick get? It's a trap. No. The pit is filled with sharp, gem-encrusted spikes. Freelick, the fanatic of Glossomere, is impaled and dies. Part you save him. Use your power to raise the dead. Well, I, I can't. I don't have enough points to raise the dead. Oh, <laughs> hell. Aw, JJ, that was really stupid, jumping into the pit without using your sonar first. Really stupid. Why did you do that? Hey, cheer up, JJ. You can start again as a new character. Oh. forever to gather power. Well, I didn't kill him. Did so. You weren't paying attention. Hey, let's not fight about it. Right, so what are we going to do now? All right, so I'll pause it right there because it's kind of a long clip. But, I mean, what a shit game master to just let a character die like that. And, you know, and of course there's no, there's no saving throws or anything else going on there. You know, it's like, you, you know, he just falls in and he dies. He's dead. Are you sure? Yeah. No dice rolling. <laughs> no nothing. Nothing. That's weird. <laughs> so uh, the joys of killing your players' characters. I mean, you know uh, that that did happen to me once early on when I started playing, and I had to sit around. I had a really crap dungeon master. I almost never played again. Uh, but it was like the first time I played, and then they like the the dungeon master killed me off, and I had to sit there and watch the rest of the game. He wouldn't let me start over. It's like those are the rules kid hated me i hated him so um but yeah so so basically uh the, the he falls in and then you know he's like okay well i have this great idea because jj the night before had been visiting a certain location that was referenced in the first clip can you guess where it might have been yeah the caverns i'd like to propose a new game kind of an evolution of mazes and monsters but we'd be playing at a much more sophisticated level. Oh, We're not bravo. finished with this game yet. Yes, but it's not the same without Freelick. Well, let's hear the idea. In all modesty, it's the most intriguing concept of the game that I've ever heard of. Something that no one else has tried. I propose we play mazes and monsters in a real setting. Pequod Caverns. I was there. I went in. Oh, it's fantastic. JJ, those caves are too dangerous. No one is allowed inside them. We'll get expelled, not to mention getting killed. They're perfectly safe. I walked around all inside of them. It's a logical extension of the game. Naturally, yeah, yeah. I'll be the maze controller. <laughs> I'll be great. A couple of kids got lost in there once. They never found them. It's a new frontier. It won't be a fantasy. It really will be mazes and monsters. Uh, yeah, okay. 
Uh, so, so anyway, so JJ has this great idea and you know, the, the, he went out and he scoped out the caverns and everything. And Pardue, Pardue is the name of, uh, uh, Tom Hanks character. Uh, I, I kept thinking of Purdue chicken every time he said Pardue. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, so, so they go out and they do their thing and it doesn't take long until Tom Hanks starts freaking out and he, he just wanders off on his own. And he's gone. And so the the rest of the group is like, well, what do we do? Oh, I get it. We'll pretend like we weren't there, wink, wink. And we'll just go and say, yeah, we are very worried about our friend. And he might have maybe gone to those caverns because he was very interested in them. And um, <laughs> so the, then the, this hard-nosed detective comes around after not buying their bullshit story. And, uh, sorry, I've said the S word twice on the show. Uh, and, uh, not suitable for, uh, impressionable children, by the way. Uh, neither is Maces and Monsters. Um, not suitable for really anybody. Uh, but I watched it. I watched the whole doggone thing. But, yeah, so this hard-nosed detective, uh, comes by. And, um, uh, let me see if, uh, uh, Lloyd Bochner, is that the guy who, who played him? I, I'm not sure if that's the detective or not. Um, but, uh, the, um, uh, oh yeah, Murray Hamilton, Murray Hamilton, uh, played, uh, no, that's not him. Sorry. That was a different guy. Sorry. Anyway. And Francis was in this. Oh gosh. Oh, gosh. I didn't know that. So, um, but anyway, so yeah, the, so the hard nosed cop comes around and he starts, you know, asking all the kids, you know, what, what's your connection? What do you know about this? And, um, and I think this, is, this starts off with him talking to Kate because Kate at one point had dated Tom Hanks character, Robbie. And, uh, you know, and, and then he started, uh, she started dating the, the, um, game master who I think was, uh, Daniel. Yeah. Daniel was the, the, I'm sorry, not the game master, the maze controller. <laughs> And, uh, so, uh, you know, the cop is going at, you know, uh, all of them trying to figure out what happened. Uh, he went after JJ. JJ was like a mess. He's like, no, gee, uh, I, I used to play the game, but I don't play it anymore. And, but I, I, I took some of the most offensive clips about, you know, it just, ir again, irresponsible filmmaking with this. And in the demonization of a uh, role-playing game. So so here we go. Here's here's the hard-nosed cop. Robbie was getting peculiar. It was uh, it was like the the game was becoming his whole life, and and sometimes he was more interested in it than me. So we broke up. Who did he play with? Uh, I I don't know. He never really talked about that that part of it. I don't think uh -huh. he really realized how dangerous the the game was. Oh. Robbie a doper? <laughs> no. Downers? No. No. Drink? Uh, well, you know, like um, anybody, a little wine or beer, but... You and Kate Finch go together now? Yes, sir. And you're still friendly with Robbie? Oh, sure. I didn't take her away from him. They were all over with when I came along. 
What do you guys think happened? One of the players Robbie played with got carried away and killed him. Well, that's kind of far out. Mazes and Monsters is a far out game. Swords, poison, spells, battles, maiming, killing. Hey, it's all imagination. Is it? Yeah, so that Murray Hamilton was the actor who played the the cop. And, uh, you know, murder, killing, (laughs) poison, knives, spells. Is it really? Is it really all fantasy? That made me so mad when I saw it. And and then of course, you know, the the uh um uh what's her name? Um uh hang on one second. I'm going to get back to the page. I keep navigating away. Uh Kate, she's like, "I don't think he realized how dangerous the game was." Really? You I mean, Michelle, what a sellout. <laughs> Yeah, that that that's some of that. Those are some of the reasons why that that really ticked us off. I mean, yeah, come yeah. on, it's not a dangerous game, <laughs> technically. No, anytime. I mean, people can go overboard. Some people do bad things, but it's it, 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 there are more people that shoot themselves accidentally. Yeah. than get hurt playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. Well, Robbie had problems. His parents didn't love each other, and I think his brother ran away from home or something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he was tormented by the mysterious disappearance of his brother. Um, and uh, so, you know, but it's... I mean, again, this this movie just goes so quick from, like, zero to stupid. Um, and the next thing you know, Robbie, you know, somehow he makes it out of the caves, uh, the caverns or whatever, and then all of a sudden he makes a collect phone call <laughs> to Kate in the middle of the night. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hello? I have a collect call from Robbie Wheelie. Will you accept the charges? Yes. Robbie? Kate, <laughs> yeah, I'm in New York. New York? Robbie, are you all right? What happened? I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> Robbie, it's going to be all right. Where are you exactly? <laughs> There's blood on my knife. Knife? What happened? Uh, it's on my hands. I think I killed somebody. I know I killed somebody. Robbie, just tell me where you are. Uh, 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 40th and, and, and 8th. Okay, Robbie. Now I want you to listen to me very carefully. It's going to be all right, okay? Okay? Okay. Now, JJ, Daniel, and I, we're going to come and get you just as soon as we can. It's going to be all right. Good. God, <laughs> I killed somebody. I think I killed somebody. I know I killed somebody. No, I killed somebody. <laughs> Oscar winner Tom Hanks, everyone. Give him, give him a hand. Um, so <laughs> well, this was like during the Bosom Buddy era too, right? Yeah, Pretty yeah. Close to that. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
Now, the what what happened right before that is he suffered from a delusion. He was in an alley, and a couple muggers came at him, and he did have a pocket knife. But he envisioned the um, the mugger as being some floppy rubber humanoid dragon bad costume department uh, thing. Um, and, and he did, he stabbed this guy in the gut and then he ran to the phone and, and, you know, called. So of course, you know, they're like, yeah, you, you need to go, go to our friend's house. We'll meet there. Listen carefully. He doesn't goes down into the damn sewers <laughs> and, uh, as one does. <laughs> as, yeah. So, and he thinks that the subway is a dragon and you know, he's just all messed up in the head. So, um, he goes down in the sewers and he finds a, a, a transient or a hobo, whatever, and um, and, and he introduces himself. Please, this is no reason to fear me. I, I am Pardieu. I am a holy man. I'm the king of France. Your majesty. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I have been... On a very long quest. Yeah, well, haven't we all? How long have you been in the mazes? I don't know, years. I keep meaning to find another place. I just don't seem to. Can you tell me of the giant dragon? On my travels here, I heard him. Dragon, you say? Yes, the giant dragon, the, the one above. There he is. Does he stand guard over the treasure? Stay away from up there. They catch you and it'll, they'll throw you out. They don't get down this far. I see. You are very wise. Perhaps you can help me. I am in search of the Great Hall. Uh, it beats me, pal. And the two towers? Yeah, yeah, I know those. Oh, sir, I would be greatly in your debt if you could tell me the way. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, a little sore spot there. But, yeah, the World Trade Center. Uh, he, he directs him to the World Trade Center. Um, and uh, so, you know, he's he's going full Purdue or, or <laughs> uh, not Purdue. <laughs> um, whatever. Yeah, uh, Pardue. Pardue? Um, but yeah, so he, uh, he, he's, he's gone, gone off the deep end here. And so finally, uh, his friends are like, where could he possibly be? And let's think about what, you know, maybe he's gone to some medieval plate looking place or something like that. And then they were like, we got it. He went to the world trade center cause there's two towers. And we, there was two towers mentioned in the game and also Lord of the Rings. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah. so, so they they find him there's a big long boring chase scene through the world trade center they finally get to the top and there he is uh and he's right at the edge and he's going to jump off robbie 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 pardue what are you doing going to join the great hall you can't it's a trap I have spells. I'm going to fly. You don't have enough points. I am the maze controller. Hand flute. Maze, co maze control. Yes. And I have absolute authority in this game. 
Game. Game. Here comes, here comes some fine acting. Game. TJ, what am I doing here? <laughs> Kate, why can't I remember? <laughs> Why can't I remember? Oh boy, uh, why can't you act yet? Um, so, <laughs> so he yeah, was young. He I know. Into it. <laughs> it's just too. It's just so funny sounding. Why can't I remember? <laughs> I think I killed somebody. I know I killed somebody. <laughs> it sounds like a Muppet. So, <laughs> you like that, Joe? <laughs> well, it was before his Wilson days, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah, before he was talking to balls. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, yeah. It, well, so they get him. They they get talk him. Literally talk him off the ledge. And uh, the in so you know he goes home. They go back to school. They miss him and everything. So they go, decide to go visit him at his parents' house. And uh, the mother, you know, welcomes him and says, oh, I'm so glad you're here to see him. I don't blame you for anything that happened. You know, n none of it's your fault. Uh, they, I don't think they really addressed the stabbing of the mugger at any point anywhere uh, else after this, you know. Um, or at least I can't remember uh, if they did. Why can't I remember? Yeah, I can't remember. Um, and... <laughs> That's gonna live here forever, by the way. If I can't remember something, why can't I remember? <laughs> so, uh, so, so the the mom, you know, she's like, "Okay, oh, it's fine. Go see him. He's gonna be so happy to see you." Uh, he's out back, and they they're all excited to see him, and and they go, and this is kind of long, but it, it it had to be played in its entirety. Robbie, oh, you look terrific. Yeah, you really do. Freelich, aren't you dead? Didn't you die when you leaped into the pit? <laughs> Come on, Robbie, stop fooling around. It is you, Freelich, you have been restored to the living. Whoever did that is a great holy man. A greater holy man even than I. Oh, Glacier, nimble too. Perhaps you are preparing for yet another quest? Glacier, has someone placed a spell of forgetfulness on you? I am Pardieu, the holy Robbie. man. I've had many strange encounters since last we met. A great dragon, a Gorville. Uh -huh. This is a good place to stay. Warm, very clean, and the food is good and plentiful. Oh, Frida, I have something you may be interested. I have an eternally renewing coin. Every night, I give it to my innkeeper's wife to pay for my lodging, and every morning when I awake, it is in my pouch again. And he's missing a tooth the well, next day. No. Shall we not begin the quest? Robbie. <laughs> this lake is enchanted, and beyond there you see the great forest. And flute. Now, the innkeeper and his wife fear the forest, and they warn me to stay away. I feel there must be some evil force dwelling within it if we could vanquish that evil the innkeepers and his wife could live happily and in peace do you know of this forest 
Hmm. Decisions, decisions. Yes. I am the maze controller. Now that seems irresponsible. There is a... a Kingdom of the evil Verations, ruled by the wicked Ak Oga. Within this forest lies terrible danger, but also a wondrous treasure. Shall ye enter? Aye. 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 Follow me, I know the way. I've seen the spirits dance in this lake in the evenings. They sing a song not unlike yours, really, not unlike the sprites. I haven't been beyond this ridge, but the paths to the forest are clearly marked. And so, we played the game again, for one last time. <laughs> it didn't matter that there were no maps, or dice, or no monsters. Pardew I didn't use dice before. We did not. We saw nothing but the death of hope, and the loss of our friend. And so we played the game until the sun began to set and all the monsters were dead. Why can't I remember? Alright, there you go. <laughs> Mazes and monsters, everyone. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I'm glad I missed that one. <laughs> that brings uh, back horrible memories. <laughs> I have this renewing coin. I, each night I give it to the innkeeper's wife. <laughs> yeah, Tooth Fairy puts it under his pillow. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that just seemed like an irresponsible decision at the end. That Obviously, he's had a, a you know another snap. And they're kind of indulging this uh, mental breakdown. And then they're just like, okay, we're never going to see this asshole again. We're done. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean Miles, that, that's, uh, that doesn't seem quite right. Yeah, that's a... Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm speechless. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something, right? Why can't I remember? You just can't remember. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, all right. Uh, yeah, so there was our lightning round with mazes and monsters. Uh, we're going to go to the break, and the way I have this break worked out is we're going to hear two Kill the Hippie songs, and then we're going to hear one of the, the, the songs from the, the band Mayhem from the Quincy uh, punk rock episode. And I know Matt would love this. Uh, Mort, of course would absolutely love this because he loves the Quincy Punk Rock episode. And we were actually going to have him on, but it just didn't work out. Things got busy. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to hear two Kill the Hippies and uh, one from Mayhem from the Quincy Punk Rock episode. And you'll hear some uh, uh, other actors and things like that during the song. But it's an entire song. It's like an entire three-minute song. It's pretty funny. So uh, we'll be right back with more... It came from Cleveland right after this. I think I killed somebody. I know I killed somebody. Radio. Rock and roll, high school, my photo. 
about the ugliest, scummiest crowd we ever played. Saying something. One, two, three, four! Saw a blind man the other day, took his pants off and ran away. Watched a man dying in the street, said, Go to hell if you can't take the heat, you know! No, you stay here. It gets pretty radical out there. Come on, you can get hurt. Don't get anyone else to get in my way. to get blown away in a nuclear war. It's nuclear. Uh, but A, Melora Hardin, she was also young when she was in this. And of course, everybody knows her as Jan on The Office. Jill, of course, you know, you're familiar with Melora Hardin. She's a, a, mm. an accomplished singer as well. Hmm. So. I didn't know that. Yeah. And <laughs> who doesn't love the dinner party episode of The Office? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! The in the I just rewatched that the other day. And the 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 uh, plasma screen TV always gets me. <laughs> so anyway, welcome back to the show. Uh, yeah, Michelle, uh, you you ready to learn about the dangers of punk rock from Quincy? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, but I'll say this about the the music in this episode. That was some pretty decent punk rock. You know, they they actually did a good job. Uh, the guitar sound was really nice. Uh, you know, the drumming was good. The, the The singer wasn't bad. 
And uh, it sounded, it was very reminiscent of Black Flag and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I think Kill the Hippies might have covered that song, which is hilarious in and of itself. Um, I'm going to have to ask him about that. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, uh, but yeah, in, um, uh, in Miles, yes, you will be, you'll be dazzled by, uh, the, the, how, uh, Quincy handles the, the topic of punk rock. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, you're not going to be. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so what happens is, uh, you know, during that, uh, Melora Hardin's character, Abby, her boyfriend was stabbed with, he had, he had, um, uh, an ice pick and he was going to use it. Then somebody knocked it out of his hand and kicked it across the room. Somebody else picked it up and killed him with it. His name was Zach. And so, you know, that's the mystery who, who, who done it. Uh, he killed him in the mosh pit or the, the, that's, that's called slam dancing. Quincy, you wouldn't want to get in that, that dance floor. No siree. <laughs> well, Quincy's girlfriend shows up at the medical examiner's office and um, apparently she knows Abby and uh, and she was dating and, and she knew of him dating Zach because she counseled uh, Abby and her mother. Um, and um, so, yeah, so this is this made me so mad. Has she been here yet? Who? Abigail. Abigail Garvin. I thought she might have come here to find out about Zach, how he died. Well, if you're talking about the kid that got murdered at the Ground Zero, nobody's been here to claim his body or oh, identify him. Ground Zero. Well, all I know is his name is Zach. He's a runaway, and Abigail would have given her life for him. She loved him that much. But even she doesn't know his real name. Sit down, sit down. Abigail, your patient? Yes, I've, I've counseled her and her mother for the last five months, until she got away from me. And now you don't know where she is? <sighs> Susan, her mother, called me early this morning. Abigail didn't come home last night. So I started making some phone calls, including the one to the police. That's how I found out about Zach's death. Oh, Quince, I'm just afraid this might push Abby right over the brink. You mean suicide? She is so vulnerable right now. And her mother doesn't know how to handle her. Susan has raised that child for the last six years, all alone, ever since her husband left her. She works ten hours a day at running her own restaurant. She comes home, and she finds her daughter burning cigarette holes in her arm, shredding her clothes to bits, taking pills, and locking herself in a room listening to that violence-oriented punk rock music that does nothing but reinforce oh, all those boy. bad feelings. Damn, you're not blaming what happened to that girl on music. Oh, don't underestimate this particular kind of music, Quince. You tell a kid, a vulnerable kid, over and over again that life isn't worth living, that violence is its own reward, and you add to it the kind of intensity that this music has, and you just might convince her. Isn't that funny? I mean, sometimes I see these kids on the street, I never give them a second thought. I thought they were another silly fad, something that would be blown away by the next <laughs> wind. I never thought it went deeper than that. Silly fad, huh? Let me take you down to one of these clubs. You've got to see it with your own eyes to believe it, Quince. Yeah. I've seen children come off that dance floor with crushed ribs and bloody faces, mm. like soldiers fighting mm. some kind of insane war. How <laughs> can persuade a kid to act like that? Maybe the greatest persuader there is. Music. Oh, okay. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, so, so music is to blame, obviously. Uh, for for this murder, and yeah, thank you for all the great screenshots uh, from this episode, Michelle. Uh, <laughs> I love the one that says how to talk yes. with, with your kids about punk. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I found them. They were they look like fun. So and yeah. I, 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 this woman, you know, some severe severe HIPAA violations with her talking to Quincy about this woman's yeah. counseling and shit. Wow. Yeah, this is <laughs> it's crazy. It's so stupid. So they go down to the club, uh, and you know, sticking out like you know two turds in a punch bowl. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and they, they get to listen to some more of, uh, mayhem. I, I just clipped off like 25 seconds of the actual song, but, but this is, I, I like this song too. It's called next stop nowhere. No way out, no way out of the rain. No shortcuts, baby, no fast lane. Ain't tomorrow, only yesterday's pain. So cut your wrist and watch your life go down the drain. Next stop, nowhere I want to get off. Next stop, nowhere I want to get off. Catchy. Next stop, nowhere I want to get off. Um, Yeah, that last picture is actually from that set. Yes, yes, exactly. I love the singer's name is Fly, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we'll get to hear from him in a little bit. Uh, but this episode is just all over the place. It's so ridiculous. But uh, so so uh, shortly, we're we're at uh, Abby's home, and we get a knockout performance uh, by Melora Harden with her mother. Um, you know about you know the mom's like you know what you're just better off without that boy. He's dead and gone, and you were running with the wrong crowd. Kind of lecture and. And that, that goes over real well. I know that this is a very, very hard time. And I hate to see you this unhappy. Especially over somebody like that. Someone like what? It's what I've been trying to tell you for months. You get caught up in a crowd like this and something like this is bound to happen. Oh, you're so much better off without him, Abby. Just forget he ever existed. No, I won't forget Zach. I loved him. He's the only person that I ever loved. Can't you see that we come from the very same mold? You hate him, you must hate me too. No, no, you had nothing in common with him. You are not like him. He he was a stranger. You're the one I have nothing in common with. You're the stranger. Happy, you're just upset. You don't know what you're saying. I know exactly what I'm saying. I hate you. I hate you. Get out. Get out! Ah, there you go. Jan in the making. Um, so, mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, not a bad performance. You know, she, she's a pretty decent actress. And then, and of course, she did some, uh, Michelle posted, she did some mirror singing along with the, uh, with the Mayhem record. And, uh, you know, it, it's, but, it, you know, it, in it, okay, so yeah, so the, it's like, you know, oh, you're better off without him, you know. You know, mother, daughter, you know, parent, child angst going on and everything. But then it gets super crazy, this episode. Because Quincy actually assigns, uh, in the coroner's report, he puts that punk rock music contributed to the kid's death. Which is so awful and so wrong. And then... His girlfriend, the the psychologist or whatever, she's like, oh, I'm so proud of you, Quincy, for doing this. I mean, she's awful. You know, I mean, it, I, I, I just, yeah, just listen to this. So, so basically, he's meeting with um, his boss at the coroner's office. You know, I don't know who that is, you know, the 
somebody somebody from the police department, whatever. And um, and he's arguing with he's like saying he's saying this is irresponsible. Don't put the punk rock contributed to this kid's death. It's not the cause of death I'm questioning. It's the contributing factor that you cite. I mean, really, punk rock? Now, what is that, some kind of joke? All I know is that whoever killed that boy was listening to words that literally cried out for blood. Well, I don't know. I thought music was supposed to soothe the savage beast, not create one. Evidently not anymore. Get a job working for the man. Blow his brains out as fast as you can. Tell the judge you didn't like his face. No garbage like the human race. Read these yourself. If you think I'm overreacting, I'll delete the reference to punk rock. It's too late. The cat's already out of the bag. What do you mean? Well, it's not very big, but here it is. L.A. Coroner Quincy says punk rock contributed to teen's death. In the newspaper. Of course. Quincy, I'm so proud of you. No, no, don't encourage him. You don't know what kind of trouble you're going to be brewing up. Oh, come on. Who's going to read it? It's buried on page 14. Tomorrow it'll be at the bottom of a canary cage. Let's hope the canary can't read. Well... <laughs> yeah. So I mean, seriously, the, the Michelle, it, 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 she's oh Quincy, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, that's just yeah, irresponsible. Um, just it, I am speechless. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, so Joe, it's in the newspaper. Uh, and you know, they think it's going to be buried. Well, it should be because where was the scientific evidence that he based his conclusion on that uh, contributed the liner notes of a record? Uh, yeah, <laughs> his girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, that's so ridiculous. It, it is, it is. And it, this episode just keeps going crazier and crazier, it's spinning out of control because what happens yeah, next. Know, Go you know, ahead. Go ahead. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna be sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm gonna be sick. <laughs> uh, but so so Miles, what happens next in this episode is it does not get buried in the newspaper. It is not forgotten about. But Quincy and several punk rockers and concerned parents and kids are contacted by a Phil Donahue style talk show. <laughs> I love me some Phil Donahue, and they uh, the guy even lo- the actor who played him he's a familiar actor I can't remember who it was but uh, why can't I remember why can't I remember um but uh, <laughs> but the uh, uh, so so there you know there's so much of this I couldn't get a, you know that much of it but the stuff that I got is just ridiculous. So, uh, Abby's mother is on stage with Quincy and Quincy's girlfriend and the singer from Mayhem and a couple of, um, Abby's friends from the club. And, uh, so Abby's mom's like, she used to be such a happy child. I don't understand. (laughs) That's I snorted. And, uh, so they're, so they're like, where's your daughter? She's right there in the third row. So, Abby, would you stand up and respond to your mother? And and here's another fine performance from Melora Hardin. Although she doesn't seem to be able to pronounce the word nuclear or mayhem. Um, but here we go. She, she does her best. I just want to say that it's not like I've been bit by a vampire. Nobody controls me. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Which is what? Fighting boredom. Yeah. <laughs> would you call yourself a happy person? 
Hey, you show me somebody who's a happy person, I'll show you someone who was conned. You used to be a happy person, Abigail. I used to be conned. Do you have any plans for the future? Yeah. I plan to get blown away in a nuclear war. You know, it's just like that song of man's. There ain't no tomorrow. Only yesterday's pain. It's just like that song by Mams. <laughs> so, so yeah, so, so there we go. Uh, and, and, and you know, and it just keeps getting dumber because Quincy decides to start lecturing everybody on stage, and and you know his girlfriend's just so happy and so smug about it, and it's just awful. But yeah, so here, Quincy, explain the dangers of punk rock to everybody. I want to get Dr. Quincy in on this. Abby just quoted from the very music you cited as contributing to a brutal murder. Now, you're not really saying that music can kill, are you? Yes, I am. I Yo. believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Uh. The music I heard said that life was cheap and that murder and suicide <laughs> was okay. Music can be a very powerful thing. Nothing galvanizes the emotions as quickly. You lowered the lyrics in question, Fly. Do you take issue with any of this? Hell yes. You know why you people can't stomach our songs? Because they're a mirror, dig? Our music's ugly and violent because that's what's outside my window when I wake up. The world's dig. ugly. The world's violent. All we do is rub your noses in it. You don't like what you see. Well, don't lay it on us. You're right about one thing. There is too much ugliness and violence out there. But if we took your advice, we'd never oh, overcome it. All you go. want us to do is throw up our hands and give up. Who got us where we are today? It was your generation. Now you people have your finger on the button, ready to blow the whole joint to bits, and you're telling us to cool it? You know, not so many years ago, there was a generation of young people who were as mad as you are about the world. Glory, Only they glory, worked their tails off to change <laughs> Trying to end a war they didn't believe in, trying to correct injustices that they saw. But all you do is gripe. Has it ever occurred to you to do something else with your anger besides vending it? <laughs> How to talk to your kids about punk rock. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, music, music killed somebody. I think I killed somebody. I know I killed somebody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so when they did the autopsy, <laughs> they found a CD in his stomach. Yeah, they found a record needle uh, in his jugular. Um, so, <laughs> but <laughs> Jesus, this is this is so absurd. And 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 again, I just wish we could all sit and watch the episode together. It is on YouTube, uh, but uh, but I just decided to kind of get you some of the the greatest hits uh, of this. And of course, mm. we had had to clip that out. I plan to get blown away in a nuclear war. Nuclear. Um, nuclear, yeah, a nuclear war, nuclear war, and then there was there, nuclear <laughs> war. there was one uh, uh, one uh, uh, guy who stood up in the audience <laughs> who who uh, was angry with the singer Fl uh, Fly from Mayhem. If I had a son like you, I'd sure know how to cure him. I'd put him over my knee and I'd whip some sense into him. <laughs> hey, Mister, if I had a dad like you. I do the exact same thing. And for a second there, he was he reminded me of Bill Paxton, and, and, and he, I wanted him to say something so much more awful than that. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So so anyway, uh, we gotta I gotta speed this up. Uh, but yeah. So that was uh, you know uh, Quincy's big punk rock lecture, and then so it turns out. 
um, that uh, Abby's one friend, uh, her, her female friend, I don't remember what her name is. Uh, oops. Like it, I remember! Yeah. Uh, but she decides to, she, she's, she gave uh, Abby some pills the night of the murder. And so she's like, uh, you know, they, they, she, uh, Abby runs away from home and is staying with the, these two punkers and, uh, the girl's like, Hey, Oh, I was afraid I'd, I'd, you know, that I'd have to tell you that, you know, I, I feared that I would, I, I never wanted to tell you this. And this is what she said. I was hoping I would never have to tell you this. Tell me what? I was standing right there the night Zach died. I saw the whole thing happen. You grabbed for the ice pick. It fell to the floor. You picked it up. Zack turned his back. And you stabbed him. No. The music did it. The music did it's it. It's not possible. Tell me it's a lie. Tell me! You were so spaced out, you didn't know what you were doing. I think I killed somebody. I know I killed somebody. <laughs> And like it, I remember. <laughs> so, so her friend is is tried trying to convince her that you know she she killed her, and and it turns out it's she she's trying to frame her basically and trying to get her to confess, and she goes and she makes a confession, but then she disappears again. So Quincy, in his infinite wisdom, decides to go down to Ground Zero, the punk rock club, and this is where the the big famous picture that Michelle posted comes from. Quincy on stage in front of a whole bunch of punk rockers, uh, is trying to save Abby, and this is what happens. How many of you know Abigail Garvin? And all of you know that the police are looking for in connection with a murder that happened right here in front of this stage. Now all the charges against her have been dropped. She's innocent. If she comes back, nothing will be done to her. Why should we believe you? If I knew where that girl was, I sure as hell wouldn't tell a cop. Because that's all you are, man. It's a dog without a uniform. I don't care what kind of names you call me. I'm only interested in helping Abby. This is right out of a John Wayne movie. <laughs> that's not funny. Look, we have reason to believe that she's with Zach's real murderer, Molly Howard, and Molly is trying to push her into a codeine overdose. So please, if you have any information. That's a crock, mister. You think we're all zombie killers. You're the killers. Your whole sick society. That's who's guilty, man. We're just your lousy scapegoat. Besides, man, who the hell cares? Oh, that, that actor uh, who said who, who the hell cares at the end, that was one of the actors who played uh, one of the Daryl brothers on Newhart. Um, uh, you know, Larry Daryl and Daryl, um, the blonde one. And uh, but uh, but yeah, so it was established early in the episode that Abby has a severe allergy to codeine, and so you know Molly is trying to get her uh, to OD on on codeine, and you know. So she can get away with the murder, and I don't even understand what the motivation was, but I kind of ran out of time <laughs> because this was so ridiculous, and Mazes and Monsters was so ridiculous. But yeah, so, but, but for the most part, I just kind of wanted to com compare, compare and contrast these two, I think, highly irresponsible uh, media uh, ventures uh, just did horrible things to poison people's minds against a, a kind of music and in a, in a type of game. And, um, you know, 
hopefully that shit doesn't come back. It, you know, it uh, over the last uh, uh, well uh, until recently, that kind of stuff was you know was starting to to rear up again with uh, a certain branch of conservatism. I don't want to dwell on. But uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it that was starting to come back, um, you know, uh, random outrage and censorship. But anyway, I hope everybody enjoyed that. Uh, we're going to uh, run to the break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, about June Lockhart with Joe, uh, who has a deep Lassie connection and uh, just celebrated her uh, a big birthday. Ninety five. Yes. Yeah. Ninety five. There we go. All right, we'll be right back with more. It came from Cleveland right after this. If I had a son like you, I'd sure know how to cure him. I'd put him over my knee, and I'd whip some sense into him. (laughs) Hey, mister, if I had a dad like you, I'd do the exact same thing. So Joe, uh, here we are. We're uh, uh, we're celebrating uh, June Lockhart's birthday, um, mm. and uh, again, she's still with us. And of course, she is uh, has a, a close personal connection to you. Well, not to me, but well, to Bob. And you have a close personal <laughs> connection to Bob. To Bob, yes, because the weather well, the weather wax curse lives here in Scranton. <laughs> now, I think that was kind of what prompt that was what prompted you uh to to want to discuss June Lockhart was uh Sven Gulli last weekend. Yeah, he surprised us. We were sitting here watching uh June Lockhart mm-hmm. in uh She Wolf of London and um <laughs> 
she's she turns out to be uh, not a she wolf, but uh, she was being gaslighted. But uh, Smangulis, you know, he does his little shtick in between the mm-hmm. movie, and uh, he said, "Well, of course, you know, he she suffers from the weatherwax curse <laughs> because the dogs kept barking at me and everything." And he said, "Well, the weatherwax curse, you know, they all hate her because." She wouldn't, uh, they wanted to be just like Lassie, famous dog, and all this. So she has the Weatherwax curse. So, well, and uh, then they went on, they went on to tell about, well, yeah, go, do you have that clip? Yeah, I got, I have that for you. So, run it. Okay. All right, here we go. By the way, have you heard the news? What news? A Scotland Yard man was murdered in the park last night by a mad woman who made a noise like an animal. The morning paper is full of it. Well, then, maybe it was a dog. You see, you put the papers down, and they're sure... Nothing but foul language and toilet humor! I'm trying to keep up with two broke girls. Anyway, I think June Lockhart is dealing with something very serious here. Surely you've noticed something peculiar. The the fact that dogs are constantly harassing her. Uh, The odd way dogs react as if she carries a certain scent. May I sniff you? I think she's finally realizing her legacy. She has... The Weatherwax Curse. The Weatherwax Curse. For those who don't know, Rudd Weatherwax and his family raised and trained all the dogs that played Lassie. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, that explains everything. The other dogs are jealous they didn't get the role of Lassie, and and her long association with the famed Collie has left its lingering scent on her, which the other dogs catch and despise. And yet, still hoping for a shot at stardom, they will follow her around, hoping for their big break, even as she suffers, collapsing at the slightest news that Timmy fell down a well. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Such is the sad burden of the carrier of the Weatherwax curse. Ah, but the poor woman's troubles have not ended, because next she will be encountering the Robinson curse. Because <laughs> you're a good squirrel. I know you want it. I know you'll vomit. No, not Robertson. Robinson. Oh, dear, what's to become of her? Uh, Do you want to hear about the Robinson curse? Danger. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. So that's pretty wild. That was pretty wild. We we, uh, downloaded that and we we took it over to Bob (laughs) so I could hear it. You got a kick out of it. That's cool. <laughs> so, yes, the weather wax curse. And uh, <laughs> Bob agrees there's a weather wax curse. <laughs> but it's well. on him. Anyway. Um, well, it's on you, too, because Sharky's so, always picking up knives. Yeah, I know. And he's, he's lately been picking up uh, pencil sharpeners. I don't know what he's about. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so uh, June Lockhart, yeah. Bob had some really nice memories of her. Um, you know, he, she was a, a really nice person uh, to work with. Unfortunately, there's one story I don't know if I ever told about the lassie that was on the TV show. Okay. His name was was Spook. And the reason his name was Spook was because he got spooked on the set of Lassie. <laughs> oh. And... What happened was, you remember the kitchen in 
in the the last e episodes with Jumar, you know, the kitchen. Sure. The okay, so naturally th there were booms and big, you know, hit lights and everything and cameras, you know, taking up that scene. And one of the scenes where Lassie comes in the front door to June Lockhart, one of the big lights used in the studio fell when oh they were geez. filming the scene and totally freaked out Spook. <laughs> Spook. Oh, I, and I he can imagine. And he he forever associated that incident with June Lockhart because that was the scene with her. Wow. So all, all, all the while they would be filming with, with, with this particular lassie, he was afraid of June Lockhart because he associated that crash and that sound with, you know, going into her. So much so that, that uh, they actually had Spook go into her dressing room trailer and and stay with her between scenes so he could get over this and she was very accommodating allowing you know the dog to come in and you know stay with her while while they try to overcome this which you know they did eventually but he forever uh had the moniker spook because <laughs> well, he was spooked yes wow. so yeah, nice lady, and uh, she had quite a sense of humor, too. Bob was in his early 20s, and he first got married when he was starting to help his father with the show after the service, and uh, he remembers one morning uh, they were going to their respective places, and June Lockhart turned to Bob and said, Hey, Bob, did you get any last night? <laughs> and Bob said, Bob said, you know, I never expected that from a, from a, you know, in those days, <laughs> from a woman. <laughs> she was very, very uh, down to earth and uh, had a lot of had a lot of fun with him. So um, yeah, I think you have some some clips of her remembrance too of the Lassie show. All right, so uh, June on Lassie, that's the one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's you nice. played this the wonderful mother uh, uh, to Timmy on Lassie. Yeah. Uh, that's in reruns now. You know, it's on Nickelodeon twice a day, every day. And what fun. Oh, and I saw John Provost recently, and he is taping all those shows now to show his nine-month-old child when the child grows up. John will play but, Timmy. Yes, we're having great fun watching it. And then when uh, the, uh, is it Lloyd Nelson, who is the script supervisor, and I chat about the show quite a bit, we don't remember shooting half of what we saw, you really? know, what we see. Uh, it, it's remarkable how you can do that six years, front and center, know the lines, being there, and all that attention and concentration. Look at this diary. My God, what is this one about? And did we do that? And where did we shoot that? And well, it's just amazing. Well, uh, how many episodes was she in? 206 or something. Oh, a lot. Yeah. That Over would, 200. That would explain why she would, didn't remember. Uh, uh, you know, I well, mean. Well, Bob, Bob, Bob doesn't remember half of them. He's, you know, what she said was true because he has, there's this one fan of his that calls him occasionally all this guy wants to talk about is the different last he's like an expert on the lassies more more than bob oh, wow. and and he drives bob crazy yeah he drives him <laughs> nuts but anyway nice he was a nice guy and bob sure. talks to him but he asks him all kinds of and 
questions about where did you shoot this and when did you shoot that and how did you make that scene? And Bob said, I don't remember those things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was work, <laughs> you know, and we did hundreds of them. And I don't remember that scene. And this guy remembers every scene, every action. And Bob, you know, it's almost like going to like a Star Trek convention. And, you know, the yeah. fans are saying, oh, Lee, that, that scene where you did that, <laughs> the actors don't even know what you're talking about. And it's true. And she she said, I don't remember. And I remember we did a thing with, with John Provost down in Harrisburg with Bob and John Provost. We had Lassie there, and we were uh, – uh, they had a big dog show down there, so uh, mm-hmm. they had their own booth. And we were they were talking about this and how they didn't even remember, <laughs> you know, what half of the things they did together, you know, but um, – yeah, it was it was great, and that wasn't her first. I think I have another clip that that wasn't her first encounter with Lassie. Actually, June Lockhart was in the the sequel to the movie that made Lassie uh, Lassie Come Home. The sequel was in 1945. It was uh, Son of Lassie, and uh, and it was about a, a dog that goes to war, Lassie puppy with his owner and. Um, comes back with P- PSD, okay. the dog, as well as the owner. But uh, this is the before the he goes off to work when he's a puppy, the little dog, son of Lassie. Here you go. Of all the daft, stupid, crazy puppies in the world. He's not stupid, say he's only very young. Well, never too early to start his training. A firm hand, Joe. Built him one. Oh, but I can't say he's such a foolish little thing. Don't you agree with me, Father? I agree with you. You're quite wrong, Priscilla. I warn you, that pup will grow up an irresponsible hoover. Look what he's done to my gardens. Well, perhaps he just doesn't like gardens, Grandfather. Nonsense. Everybody likes gardens. Happened, it's a point of view. Your Grace likes him to look at, and the Tykeer likes him just as much to roll in. I say that something must be done about that pup. At last, we've got a dog like our lassie. I want him trained. And when he's old enough, I'll show him. I'll make him an international champion. That's a great deal of eye, Grandfather, for another man's dog. All the same, it's the only way. If you don't train him, it'll be a scandal to every dog lover in Yorkshire. <laughs> but he's only a puppy, sir. Aye, and if there's a scandal to bear, there's no one to bear it but Joe. For there's nobody's dog but his. That's the way it was with you, Lassie. And that's the way it's got to be with you, Tyke. Oh, there's only one way you'll ever get that dog, Grandfather. Oh, and how's that? You'll have to marry into the family. <laughs> Uh, June wants to marry Peter Lawford, who played Joe, the soldier going off to war. And uh, he does go off to war with that puppy that was ravaging the garden. And again, that puppy and Joe have some awful experiences in war and come back broken. And uh, uh, June Lockhart and uh, Lassie and Peter Lawford, they get it back all together at the end. Son of Lassie. Yeah. So, so that's pretty yeah, that cool. Was, that, yeah. So that the kind of the, uh, you know, obviously that did uh, did her well uh, to to you know have the role that you know Cloris Leachman left void. Right, because uh, this was in 1945, the movie with Peter Lawford, and then um, it wasn't until the late 1950s that uh, she took over for Cloris Leachman uh, as Timmy's mom. And by the way, uh, just a shout out to to uh, John Provost. He's in the hospital right now, so uh, wish oh, him no. well. 
yeah, he's had some problems. But um, yeah, wish him well. And, oh, absolutely. Um, I think I have one more sh sh uh, clip from um, June Lockhart. I think it's from MeTV. All the different roles in all the different places, uh, different uh, TV shows that she was on. I think goes from Gunsmoke to Have Gun Will Travel to Wagon Train, a whole bunch of uh, Petticoat Junction. Yeah. So I, I think you have that clip. I do. Did you shoot him just for this? Little Dick. Mostly I shot him for me. You're breaking new ground for him, are they? I figure that if I can get these people to accept me, maybe they'll accept other women doctors. He's hurt. He's going away for the hurt to heal. He'll come back. I know he will. Walt said that we're two of a kind now. Me no better than him. Him no better than me. The words I've been hearing just seem to make us closer. $10,000 in cash by tonight. Very nice. It was crumpled. I, I wouldn't even have seen it except that I always nice. look at my mail when I first get home. This whole voyage cloaked in this aura of respectability for science. But that's just what it's for. The sea view is just an instrument. And we're just pawns. Me? Lee? Oh, no, doctor. Not on your stethoscope. No, I like a small town. And the idea of the shady rest is something I've always dreamed of. Don't you think they should learn about the Earth first? No, Judy, I think perhaps she's right. The Earth is a small place and very far away. This is the world in which the children are growing up. Perhaps they should learn about this place first. Wow. So. Yeah, those clips ran from Gunsmoke, have gun will travel, rawhide, wagon train, petticoat junction, Perry Mason, lost in space, and voyage to the bottom of the sea. She got around. <laughs> yeah, she certainly did. So you know, nice yeah. versatile uh, bunch of roles for her too. Yes, yes. And I'm told by my weatherwax expert Barb that uh, John Provost is home and recouping. So. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Good. So. Yes. He's Thank exactly my age. So, yeah. Okay. And a nice guy. Yeah. We had a good time down there. So, yeah. So, well, yeah, so that is June Lockhart. She also was in a, in a Christmas Carol back in the, the, I think, in the 30s when she was a little girl. Oh, no wasn't way. She also her, with her father. Yeah, wasn't she also in Troll? I, I don't know. I don't know. That it's a bad point. horror movie. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Well, that's why I don't. That's not why a, I don't. I did. Not as bad as Troll Two. So is <laughs> not as bad as She Wolf of London. <laughs> actually, no, it's worse than She Wolf of London. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And actually, there was no She Wolf, and there was no Werewolf. It was a scam. Was weird. It was a scam. It was a scam. Scam. There was scamminess, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, at least I, 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 but yeah, I don't remember seeing a werewolf in there. Why can't I remember? <laughs> I know. But Bob had some great luck with some great ladies. You know, like he, he really liked June, who's still around at 95. And he, him and uh, Betty White were good friends. And uh, Bob 
up, uh, and she's still around at 99. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so there you go. And uh, two nice ladies, and Bob really enjoyed working with them. So awesome, yeah. And you know, and and again, uh, if if anybody um, uh, remembers uh, her daughter, it was a, a, a spitting mm-hmm. image of her as well. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, let me see, what, what is her daughter's name? I always forget her, uh, um. She was on the original Battlestar. Yeah, yeah, she was on the original, uh, uh, let me see, uh, Anne Lockhart. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, she was played. It's almost like they cloned her. Yeah, yeah, uh, (laughs) Lieutenant Sheba, uh, uh, she, on the original Battlestar Galactica series. And, um. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she she's uh she's still active, um, and uh you know she's been doing all kinds of stuff. She was in uh, um, she had began acting at the age of four, so you know mom got her uh, started right in there. Um, Anne was Anne was in Troll too. Anne played the younger version of June Lockhart's character. Oh my so, god! Yeah, that's so well, funny. She could do it. Yeah, <laughs> she could do it. Wow. So. <laughs> yeah, now I gotta look up uh, tro- the troll uh, trolls or trolls. Troll, nineteen eighty six. Uh, yeah. So, no, I'm. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, she. Uh, uh you know, I I couldn't believe. Uh, you know, when I saw the younger pictures of June and I saw the pictures of uh Anne, uh, in the seventies, I was like, my lord. You know, they were, you know, uh, yeah, it's like did she didn't even have a father, I don't think. <laughs> she just split off a <laughs> yeah. man, uh, off of June. She just clipped a piece of hair and threw it in a Petri dish. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, very cool, very cool. And, of course, uh, you know, uh, everybody here is, a, you know, I, I've, I've got a soft spot for the ridiculousness of Lost in Space, too. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> me too. Yep. <laughs> Yes. Some of those episodes didn't age real well, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they didn't. But I remember when Star Trek, I believe, started the year after the the first season of Lost in Space, mm-hmm. and I was a Lost in Space fan. And I, when I read about in the uh, TV guide about this new show coming on the following year, Star Trek, I thought, ah, that'll never compete with Lost in Space. No way. <laughs> yeah, there so was so much for my year. Yeah, somebody was doing a sci-fi block at one time during uh, evening uh, programming, and I forget who it was, but they had Space 1999. They had oh, Lost God. in Space, wow. and I think they had the original Star Trek. And it was a, it was if you wanted to really go down the, the crazy, <laughs> you know, 60s rabbit hole with with, with sci-fi, there you go. <laughs> oh, Space 1999. That brings back memories. God, I love oh, that yeah. show. I love that show oh, so yes. much. I that remember show. the, you remember the evil corporation Dalotech. <laughs> that always stuck with me. Well, Who you know, the hell was riot? I just, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Martin Landau and of course his wife Barbara mm-hmm. Bain, and in uh, right. in um, uh, it's funny because I just, I just unearthed uh, going through my VHS collection a weird movie that Barry Morse was in. Barry Morse was the bald guy in um, Space 1999. 
I don't remember his mm-hmm. character's name, but um, the uh, uh, I, it's called Whoops Apocalypse, and it has like John Cleese and a, bu- a couple of the other Python guys and Alexi Sale and stuff, and it's it's like a you know early '80s uh, um, you know kind of thumb in the eye to the Reagan administration and the Thatcher administration, and you know uh, mocking mm-hmm. the idea of you know global superpowers and and nukes and everything so uh but yeah barry marsh played actually the president he played president cyclops john i think <laughs> johnny cyclops was his name and he, he was a of in you know an actor uh so it was supposed to be like ronald reagan but uh but yeah uh, space 1999 great show a great disco scene oh, yeah. too so <laughs> lots of waka waka guitar in there and uh, it, it, I, I don't know if <laughs> yeah. you guys know, but the uh, the um, ships and everything. Well, the the sh- the show was created by um, I can't remember his name. Uh, <laughs> Why can't I remember? Uh, but you know, Thunderbirds Go and stuff like that. Those uh, uh-huh, yes, those I, old creepy yeah, I, puppet I know. shows. Yeah, the, yes. that that production company did uh, uh, Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. So. That makes wh- sense. That's why the ships all look really <laughs> cool, and the you know, uh, the model miniatures done really well. So uh, I used to have the Eagle um, spaceship when I was a, a little kid. Uh, it was rather cheaply made and did not survive into the eighties, um, but it was fun. It was fun. But uh, anyway, all right. Well, speaking of uh, sci-fi, we're gonna have to get to some Star Trek after the break. Uh, uh, looking forward to reviewing uh, a a classic episode with Miles in a moment. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have some fun. Um, The uh, Adam uh, has the week off from uh, his mythical moment, so we just have the robots uh, coming up for you. And they're getting weird. They're getting out of control. I don't know what to do with them. I tried to interact with them. In this latest edition, but I had to use a robot avatar to do so. They've completely forgotten about Francie's question, and the evil light bulb baby is running around somewhere unchecked. So I have oh, no, no idea. I have no idea what's going on. He's lurking somewhere, but we'll be right back talking Trek with Miles right after this. Welcome to Robit Talk with the Robits. I am Robit Fellow and this is my co-host, Other Robit. That's right, Robit Fellow. We did such a successful job filling in on It Came From Cleveland last week that we decided to make our very own talk show. Wow, what a thrill. Yeah, an electric thrill up me a leg. A handy howdy-do on a rainy day. What a right chopper. I better hey biscuit that this is our breakout moment in podcast. 
you're bloody well right. You stupid bastard. We're going to swear a whole bunch and make your mother wish she had never been born, so she would never have to deal with the outright embarrassment of her unnecessarily obnoxious offspring. Oh yeah. Now we can swear? Can I say no? What about a f? What if I said, hey you f***ing autist? How about I drive the clippers up your f***ing That'll knock off everybody's knuckles. Whoa, 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 there robot fellow. I can't believe I signed up to make a talk show with you. You just said some f***ing sh** over there. When I said we could swear I meant things like, hey, you are f***ing my copy of phones and You better not even think about touching my f***ing or my ex***ing Hold on. You didn't give me any parameters for swearing on our new show. Don't act shocked if I decide to wax poetic and f*** a hunk of meat off that delectable s*** I'm not asking you not to swear on our new amazing talk show that will make Kenny Pig cry. I'm asking you to swear more like me so you don't offend the treasures, complexes or the business. Oh crap, I almost forgot the p***ers. Don't be mean to them. What about the jet-p***ers or the only silent feud fans? I'd also hate to swear about them in a goddamned negative way. This new show we have is a tough English toffee lorry. I wouldn't want to drive it through Piccadilly Circus on any day of the week. Alright other robot. Do we have a special guest for tonight? Yes we do. Our first celebrity guest is Kenny Pick of the It Came From Cleveland program. Hi there. This is Kenny Pick. I'm part of a show called It Came From Cleveland. I'm using robot technology to interface with you robots right now. Can you hear me okay? Oh gosh. Yeah we can hear you okay. Have you enjoyed what you heard so far of our new amazing podcast, Kenny? Yeah. It's me life goal. To show you what a stupid jerk you are, Kenny Pig. But other than that, how have you been my good chum? Robit. Interface failure. Self-destruct sequence of Robit translator begins in 36 cottage core hours. 1 lay doily. 2 lay doily. 3 lay doily. 4 lay doily. 5 lay doily. 6 lace doily. 7 lace doily. You still here? I'll take care of all these doilies. Don't worry about me. Robit interface failure. Run for your few stream subscription lives. Sensor uh, function on uh, it came from Cleveland has it bleeped them, uh, <laughs> and of course, uh, if you hadn't guessed, it was unnecessary censorship. There were actually no bad words in that at all. Uh, field and field and stream subscription was one of the things that <laughs> got bleeped out. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I just got weird with it. I was up too late, and that's the end result. But, uh, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, uh, yeah, all right. So here we go. We're getting into some Trek territory. Uh, welcome back, Michelle and Joe and uh, Miles. Uh, Won't you set this one up? But uh, what's our what's the episode we're 
I'm about to uh, discuss tonight. So this is the classic episode, The Devil in the Dark. Um, bear with me. I'm in some discomfort at the moment, but I'm going to soldier on. So you got it. this episode um, was Kirk, uh, William Shatner's favorite of the entire series. Oh, interesting. Um, and it's a, it's actually a surprising thing. I'll get to another thing later. It was in uh, Leonard Nimoy's top five and Gene Roddenberry's top ten. But, so, The Devil in the Dark is about a creature that is terrorizing a mining colony that is responsible for uh, the metal being made for all, all kinds of planets that are dependent on uh, uranium, the lithium, all that fancy metal that they just make up names for to, you know, anyway, it's an sure. important colony. And so they, they, the, uh, the, the attacks start happening um, on the colony and the enterprise is dispatched to fix the problem because it's an important colony. Um, anyway, so that's, that's the, 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 ba the base synopsis of the story. So I want to get, bring up some trivia about the episode in and of itself. So, um, it is an episode where red shirts are beamed down to the planet. <laughs> and it, and if anyone doesn't know this little factoid, the, there's a joke going around about red uh, being a red shirt in Star Trek where, you know, you're doomed to die. Uh, only one red shirt dies. Uh, so, the, the scene in which the red shirt is killed um and then uh, um uh, um yeah william shatner uh, goes to perform um his going up and finding the body with leonard nimoy so before the shooting of that scene william shatner was informed that his father had passed away oh yeah very sad. And it was um, the, the, with stuff like that. It was um, offered, I believe, that they could just shut down production. You know, this is an issue. And William Shatner, the consummate, you know, he said nope, and he soldiered on. So in the scene of the. Uh, Kirk and Spock coming up to the uh, ash pit, <laughs> for lack of a better word, of the of the red shirt. That is some real mournful looking acting that you see. Not act. I mean, yeah, that that mournful look on on William Shatner. Yeah, that's him after getting the word that uh, his father had passed away. So there is some uh, continuity issues. I'm watching this episode and. This is stuff I, 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 I'm able to pay attention now more than I did in the past, obviously. Yeah. And I noticed, I'm like, and there's a scene where Kirk is facing off against the monster, and I'm like, that's not William Shatner. And that's because they shot scenes of that where Kirk Shatner was in Florida for the funeral, and they used his double. And so uh, you're okay. seeing the double from the background, and there's some continuity issues where he's holding a phaser or a communicator, and 
that switches hands or it's not there or you know that kind of stuff. But I'm yeah. I'm watching the show the episode. I'm like, oh wow, you know. But I I didn't un- know until I looked up the trivia that it was because Shatner was away because of uh, you know his, his father had died. So the Horda is the name of the creature, and that creature was designed by a stuntman actor uh, named where is his name Janos Prohaska. The guy is six foot four, and he originally designed it as a creature uh, for the the final episode of The Outer Limits in 1963. Really? And so I did not know that. I haven't. I have. It's an episode called uh, The Probe. And so, um. Prohaska was told, like, hey, you know, you come up with a cool creature or whatever, and we'll, we'll, you know, make an episode for it. So he brought this costume to Gene Coons, who's the director or the producer. Yeah, Gene of, 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 And um, uh, they they saw the, the, the costume, and they're like, yep. They signed off on it. They're like, we're going to make an episode. They And then he wrote the episode in, like, four days. <laughs> wow. To, uh, to around this costume of a creature and you'll see when you're watching the episode you'll see that the floors are all smooth yes because this prohaska guy is six foot four inside that costume and he is you know contorting himself and scrambling around and so they can't make an unlevel ground because it's already difficult enough yeah. for him to to be in that position and so, yeah, the, the the floors all look very nice and smooth for a mining colony. I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. Well, it's anyway. mi- mining in the future, so maybe they're they're you know think worried about their their feet. Oh yeah, well you know <laughs> e- everything else going on in there. You got cameras on pedestals rolling around as people are going through tunnels, and mm-hmm. uh, you know a crew. Uh, yeah, so yeah, smooth floors keep people from falling over and breaking their neck and suing. <laughs> true so anyway um there are there is one female in the entire episode and she's as seen at the end or at, at the bridge scene and she has no speaking role it's not even a who yeah. is not even the ep- in the episode mm-hmm. and the um oh no i don't want to mention that Oh, so um, McCoy is famous for saying the phrase like, I'm a doctor, Jim, not a insert blank, you know, yeah. for whatever the situation is. And this is the first episode where uh, he uses that phrase and he's and the phrase is bricklayer <laughs> because okay. Kirk wants him to heal the creature after uh, Spock does a mind meld, blah, blah, blah. I'll, I'll get to that part. Anyway, um, and this is the only episode – where there's a distinction drawn between a phaser type one and a phaser type two. So I'll get I'll touch on that briefly because uh, in when the creature is first uh, seen, they they do fire and and uh, you know attack it, but they have these little phaser type ones. Phaser type ones are the ones that look like little communicators. Yeah, there's a little handheld flat, uh, you know, curved things. They're just little, they're like a TV remote-looking thing. They're just very small. 
but that's a phaser type one. The phaser type two is the one we're all more familiar with, and that's the one that actually looks like a pistol. Yes. With a handle and a little emitter out the front. Uh, quick, quick note of trivia: the phaser type one is piggybacked onto the phaser type two. So you're looking at a phaser type two that is a phaser type one that is sitting in a cradle that and the phaser type two, I guess, enhances the phaser type one to be a more powerful beam or what have you. So the uh, the original script that was written for the Horda, the creature's composition was not silicon. It was some other material. A uh, someone named Kellum DeForge, who's a uh, researcher for Star Trek, changed no. it to silicon because he actually looked up, you know, silicon's actually theoretically possible, whereas the other material was not. Okay. And so, uh, you know that 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 was cool. Oh, um, no kill eye is a phrase used in the episode, and it is also the name of a Star Trek themed punk rock band. <laughs> I'll have to check them out. Look at that. We got more yeah. punk rock references on the show. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. We need Quincy oh. to explain the dangers. Cool. All right. So, um, just checking my notes real quick. Yep. His father died. Okay. So, now I'll just touch on the episode. And I'll, I'll try and get through it real quick. I'm going to run out of time as usual, but. <laughs> Alright, um, so, colony under attack by a creature. So, Kirk and Spock arrive. Um, this colony has been here for over 50 years. Mining, no problems, and then all of a sudden, boom, people start dying, and they've already lost 50 people, and and they're, they're, they're just losing more, they call. So, start, the Enterprise shows up, and, um... Kirk and, and, and Spock are talking to the to the mining people, and the mining people, like one guy, a witness, yeah, I saw it for a bleak moment. I fired up my phaser at it and hit it. And Kirk correct, not Kirk, Spock corrects him and goes, you mean you shot at it? And he's like, no, I hit it, and it just kept on going. So that, 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 that you, there's a moment where, like, Kirk and Spock are like, yeah, okay, sure. Because <laughs> they can't conceive of something getting shot by a phaser and not just dying or vaporizing. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. in every other Star Trek episode you see, when a phaser hits you, you're toast. There's no there's no coming back from that. So, um, this is when the, the, the part where Kirk, you know, expects help. And uh, Spock, oh, I'm skipping over a part. Shoot. Well, well I have your, your, your first clip here uh, when they arrive on the planet. Uh, okay, uh, right. So this is where um, Spock is investigating a sphere. It looks like a decorative uh, decoration on the uh, guy's desk. And we'll just let him let this... Uh, play. Mr. Vandergrift, what is this? Silicon nodules. There are a million of them down there. No commercial value, but a geological honor, to say the least. Pure silicon. A few trace elements. Look, we didn't call you here so you could collect rocks. 
Thank you, Mr. Vandenberg. We'll need your complete cooperation. You have it. Just find that creature, whatever it is. I've got a quota to meet. So, cool. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, at this point, they start looking at the tunnels and how elaborate they are, and where to start looking, and where the attacks start happening. And in the process, uh, they, they beam down the, the red shirts, and they're given orders on where to go. Now, when this hap while all this planning and preparation are happening, the creature infiltrates the colony and attacks, kills a guy, and um, takes out a cooling pump for an old-school uh, reactor. Mm -hmm. And um, if the reactor goes, then it's bad because it, it you can't shut off the reactor because it powers life support which you're all under rock and you need cooling and heating and you need fresh air because when that goes out you're all, you're all dead anyway and if you don't fix the reactor for the coolant things go kaplooey so in this next clip you'll hear about uh kirk given the dilemma of what to do with or what the, the dilemma he's facing the main circulating pump for the entire reactor is gone Indication shown at the door, Captain. Very strong corrosive. Is there a replacement for that? Oh, none. It's outdated. Never had any trouble with it. Lost on board? Nothing for a device this antiquated, Captain. Without the pump mechanism, the reactor will go supercritical. It poisoned half the planet. We can't shut it down to provide heat and air and life support for the whole colony. Strong would seem to have been given a choice. Death by asphyxiation. Death by radiation poisoning. That was the end of the episode. They died. Yeah, it's over. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> so the um, red shirts are out there searching, and Kirk and um, Spock are uh, out there searching, and uh, that is when they happen to um, they they go off on their own, and they and the creature comes in and attacks Kirk and Spock and they managed to fire both their type 2 phasers on it and hit it uh, and the creature pulls a rapid retreat after that yeah. and then the, the uh, red shirts show up and go what happened did you hit it they're talking blah 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 and then it's uh, Kirk giving an explanation like okay uh, this thing is now hurt and so he explains what the, the, the problems of that is. Not animal tissue. What is it? Closest approximation I could come to would be fibrous asbestos. A mineral, Captain. Then your guess was right? It would seem so. Silicon-based. Summation. We are dealing with a silicon creature of the deep rocks, capable of moving through solid rock as easily as we move through the air. You could account for the tunnels. Correct. This creature's body secretes an extremely powerful corrosive. Powerful enough to dissolve the door of the reactor chamber. And it explains the murdered men. It's definitely phaser resistant. We had a weapon set for silicon and on full power. Yet we only damaged it. It still lives. You mean it's impossible to kill? No. No, it might require a mass phaser. Or a single phaser with much longer contact. Commander, pass this on to your men. 
We knew it was a killer. Now it's wounded. Probably insane. Somewhere back there. There's nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal. Wounded animal. So, um, the uh, red shirts go off in in search of this a, a wounded animal, and um, Kirk and Spock start de- talking about um, the creature itself and and why it's there, how how it came to be, and so Spock performs a uh, scan with his new tricorder that's configured to search for silicon-based life forms. Mm-hmm. And so he finds all the life forms of the colonists and only one uh, silicon-based life form within 100 miles. And, and then they talk about all the, the um, tunnels that have been of a certain type that the creature makes when it passes through the rock and how there are so many of them that it there's just too many. One creature couldn't make it unless it lived in the same area. Blah 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 blah. Anyway, so Spock, falling into the trope of his standard science officer uh, role, uh, talks about how this is a value of science, and so um, it, it it should not be killed. And he makes his point. So I'll refer back to that. Captain, there are literally thousands of these tunnels in this general area alone. Far too many to be cut by the one creature in an ordinary lifetime. Then we're dealing with more than one creature despite your tricorder reading. Or we have a creature with an extremely long lifespan. Or it is the last of a race of creatures which made these tunnels. If so, if it is the only survivor of a dead race, to kill it would be a crime against science. Mr. Spock. Our mission is to protect this column. Get Phrygia moving again. This is not a zoological expedition. Maintain a constant reading on the creatures. If we have to, we'll use our phasers to cut our own tunnels. We'll try to surround them. I'm sorry, Mr. Spock. But I'm afraid the creature must die. I see no alternative myself, Captain. It really seems a pity. Do that. Yeah, cool, cool. All right. So, um, the they uh, they 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 recoordinate to uh, with all this information they have, and now they send the retros to search in a specific area. And in the process, Spock says, and, "And you know, we'll surround it and possibly capture it." And or Kirk immediately jumps in and goes, "No, the orders are shoot to kill." And uh, so the red shirts go marching off, and uh, Kirk confronts Spock, going, "I don't, I don't remember ever saying to capture it." And and Spock was just saying, "Well, you know, if you have opportunity, blah blah." So they're having a conversation, mm-hmm. and Kirk realizes that Spock doesn't really have his heart set on, uh, you know, killing this thing. So he orders him. He's like, "I want you to go help Scotty, because Scotty was rebuilt a replacement." Uh, uh, the jury rigged something up, as he always does in every episode, to keep the cycling pump or the keep the reactor from you know it's going kaflui. And and Spock's like, what? Uh, no, Sp- Scotty knows more than that than I do. <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> Fuck, it's such a science whiz. And it's the funny moment when you just see him just going, what? No, I don't want to go. No, I don't. Uh, Scott, Scotty knows more than I do. <laughs> it was very uh, self-effacing uh, for, for, for Spock, who's normally very, uh, you know, like. So the argument for Kirk is that, look, uh, we can't risk both of our lives uh, hunting this creature because, you know, the Enterprise, you know, we're, we're the two highest rankings. We can't risk it. And Spock gives him the mathematical odds of like 2,701 or some stuff uh, that, you know, the odds of both of them being get killed are that, that you know, high. And Kirk's like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. So he, he lets Spock come along. So they uh, they go off on the hunt. Kirk takes one tunnel because they, they, they come to a fork and Spock takes another tunnel. And there's a cave-in caused by the creature isolating Kirk, and Spock has to hurry up to try and circle around to get back to him. And in the process, the creature confronts Kirk. And it kind of doesn't just immediately attack. There's, there's this back and forth as Kirk raises his weapon, the creature backs off, and then he lowers it, and the creature advances, he moves left. Creature moves left, moves right, creature moves right. And so Kirk is like, huh. You know, he's, he's studying it, learning. He's like, okay, this thing's not out, right out to kill me. Anyway, so Spock contacts him, and we'll play the clip where uh, how Spock, who was previously like, no, it's a crime against science, and this is Spock's reaction to finding out the, the situation Kirk's in. Kirk here. Captain, I just read some fresh signs. It's not necessary, Mr. Spock. I know exactly where the creature is. Where, Captain? Ten feet away from me. Kill it, Captain. Quickly. It's not making any threatening moves, Spock. You don't dare take the chance, Captain. Kill it. I thought you were the one that wanted it kept alive. Captured, Spock. Your life is in danger. You can't take the risk. It seems to be waiting. I remind you, it is a proven killer. I'm on my way. Spock out. Kill it. Kill it now. <laughs> Kill it. Yeah. So Spock uh, rendezvous and, and meets up with them. And the creature allows Spock to join Kirk. And they're discussing, talking. And then the Vulcan mind meld technique is mentioned. And the first... Uh, touch, but not, not touch, but the first attempt that Spock makes of it is no physical contact, it's just yeah, about a six foot distance or whatever, and he feels the pain, gets some basic information on it and uh, at this point, Kirk's like, mm, okay, so it's really hurting, so it's tough to communicate with it um, and they discuss well, what if we try to convince it to give us back the pump because the reactor is going to go go because it's failing, the the the, the jury rig things like Scotty is failing, mm -hmm. and Spock points out there is no incentive for this creature to give us the pump. It has no reason to trust us. It wants us off the planet. And Kirk's like, okay, so that's when he calls up McCoy, and McCoy comes up comes here and he's like, he sees the creature, freaks out, not freaks out, but like, what the hell. And then there's a little back and forth between Kirk and McCoy where, you know, eh, go heal it. 
and, and Kirk uses the line, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, McCoy uses the line. And this is the first time that McCoy uses uh, in the series. This is the first time in the series that McCoy uses the line, I'm a doctor, not a insert blank. Yeah. Uh, for uh, various you know, for chores that he's been given. So McCoy's had some, um, I don't know, blasts and, you know, concrete bunker stuff uh, beamed down to him. And he starts slapping it on the creature to heal him. And while the creature actually seems calm, and the uh, Spock is able to do the very detailed Vulcan line now, gets all kinds of good information, screaming. The creature's in, in desperate depression, like, oh, it's over. The murderers have won. And, you, and, and, and Kirk is listening to Spock. Uh, talk about you know this creature's inner feelings and he's starting you know it's a real bonding moment you know him starting to really empathize if you will with this creature's yeah. plight. So the miners find out like oh this creature's over there now and the the red shirts are holding them back and they fail to hold them back they get ambushed and the miners come running up because they want to kill the creature and this is when Kirk. Uh, intercedes for the Porta. First man of flyers is dead. That tank has killed 50 of my men. And you've killed thousands of her children. What? Those round silicon nodules that you've been collecting and destroying? They're her eggs. Tell them, Mr. Spock. There have been many generations of Porta on this planet. Every 50,000 years, the entire race died, all but one, like this one. But the eggs live. She cares for them, protects them. And when they hatch, she is the mother to them, thousands of them. This creature here is the mother of her race. The Horta, intelligent, peaceful, smiles. No objection to sharing this planet with her until you broke into her nursery and started destroying her eggs. The big reveal. It is the big reveal. And so the miners were faced with this new revelation. Uh, back off. And uh, I guess that each side forgives the other, if you will. And these baby hordas start hatching all over the place and turning into mining experts. And this now becomes a very profitable planet, as it is just rich with minerals. And uh, the miners are happy as pigs and whatever, and uh, the Enterprise, you know, leaves. And hooray, that's the devil in the dark. I, it's it's a, it's a, a, one of my favorite episodes, uh, right up there with Trouble with Tribbles. And uh, it, it's a very iconic um, episode for Star Trek, dealing with, uh, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, what you think is an enemy may not be an enemy. Kind of uh, challenging your way of thinking thinking of things. Uh, I'll close by making one quick mention of when I read a Star Trek novel back in my college days. It was called The Romulan Way. And there was actually a Horta crew member in Starfleet. And it went with McCoy to Romulus. And it uh, went on a covert mission onto the planet's surface, did so by just jumping out the airlock and... <laughs> 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 Bl 
blasting through the atmosphere like a meteorite because it's very heat resistant. And in the, uh, I do have a memory of where he was. They were trying to get through some blast doors to get to someplace important. And uh, they're like, "Hey, can you hurry it up?" And the horde is like, "I'm sorry, but this is really rich stuff." <laughs> He's dissolving the door. And the Romulan soldiers find out the hard way that their disruptors don't do jack shit against the silicon creature. So, anyway, there Very you go. Cool. Horda, Devil in the Dark, Star Trek Deadly Series. All right. Thank you, Miles. That that was a fun one to rewatch for sure. So, uh, it, it was. That. And I I apologize. I must uh, bow out for the rest of the show. Oh, okay. No problems. Uh, take care of yourself, and we'll see you next Friday, okay? Yep, yep. Thank you. All right. So, we will uh, be right back with the final hour. Uh, we'll get into some horror and back on board with the Twilight Zone right after this. We're at the end of Season 1 of the Twilight Zone, by the way. So, but we still got some other episodes to make up for that. But anyway, we'll be right back with more It Came From Cleveland with me, Michelle, and Joe right after this. Why can't I remember? It's going to be a good night. Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last. The real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish unterior. Something evil. Swords, poison, spells, battles, maiming, killing. Hey, it's all imagination. Is it? Not recommended for impressionable children. All mazes and monsters. What a travesty. Alright, welcome back uh, to Joe Santorso. Of course, also heard on the Tim Coromel Show. And uh, you had the whole weekend off last week. Uh-oh. You there, Joe? Well, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's taking a dump. <laughs> <laughs> either that or either that or he's chasing Sharky down and Sharky grabs something off the desk or something. Yeah. Or his computer's <laughs> taking a dump. So, and of course, Michelle, welcome back to you as well. Uh, happy Friday. And uh, yeah, so we're going to get back into talking about, uh, uh, we, we want to talk about Tom Hanks uh, first. Yeah, um, Tom Hanks has you know, got a wonderfully diverse career, but he really hasn't done a lot of straight horror or or straight, you know, uh, he's he's more, you know, the uh, like, especially of lately mainstream movies. But he did one little uh, comedy, dark comedy, which I would consider in the horror genre. Oh, um, absolutely! This is such a classic movie. I I just rewatched this uh, about six months ago. Yeah, it's an amazing movie, and it's got some great people in it. And mm -hmm. uh, we can just run the trailer first. All right. All Tom Hanks wanted was a quiet vacation at home. This is what I need, Carol. I, I need this. Welcome to Mayfield Place. A typical street in the burbs. Morning, Walter! Where nothing much ever happened. Walter's dog just took a dump on Rumsfield's lawn again. Ah! 
Until the Klopex moved in. Klopex? Klopex. Klopex. No one goes in, no one comes out. Neighbors from hell. It was a nice place to live. He said he thinks the Klopex are evil incarnate. Well, you're much too smart to fall for that, aren't you, honey? But now... Carol! You wouldn't want to visit there. Ray, this is Walter. No! The Burbs. I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Ray, do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? We found Walter! We got a real problem. I hit the gaslight, I'd run! God, I love this street. Tom Hanks. I think we are overreacting. No. The Burbs. It's one hell of a neighborhood. Hey, honey. I think we should move. Yeah, and uh, another uh, Bruce Dern, uh, another great role for him, who we just talked about recently. Oh, yeah, and it's Carrie Fisher and Corey Feldman and uh, Gibson. Um, all Art, was of, um, Ar- Artie Shaw in this, too? I think so. Um, uh, I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. Oh, that's um, fine. I'm I'm looking right now. So, um, yeah. It it, it uh, Let me see. Was it Artie Shaw? Um, no, it wasn't. There's a guy I always get mixed up with Artie Shaw, and I uh, Henry Gibson. That's who it was. I get yeah, Henry and, Gibson. Yeah, he plays yeah. the the patriarch of the family. <laughs> yeah, he's super creepy. Yes, he is, and it's it's amazing of that that uh, that just the, the the dynamics and everything with this cast because it was beautifully done. Um, one of the funny things about this movie, um, it was filmed during the writer strike in 1988. Um, they uh, the writer was actually uh, uh, appeared in the film, but he was prohibited from contributing anything to the script while he was on set. So the director. Um, encourage the actors to improvise a lot of the scenes Mm -hmm. so one example was um when rumsfeld rips uh the colpex uh wallpaper and was was an idea for bruce dern um rick uh ducommon ad-libbed many of his lines including the 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 satan is good satan is our pal dialogue yeah (laughs) um and tom hanks and carrie fisher came up with the idea of playing jeopardy at home you know, in their living room. And um, another thing that Tom Hanks improvised is there's a scene where um, where he, he goes into the ambulance, he picks up his gurney and puts himself in the ambulance. And he completely improvised that scene. Nice. You know, uh, th- this movie also had brother Theodore in it, who was a freak. Um, and it, I don't know if uh, you're familiar with him, but there was an, a, a legendary uh, talk show appearance. I don't remember what the talk show was. But it was in the '60s, and he he and Jerry Lewis got in this big blowout fight because Brother Theodore didn't think Jerry Lewis was funny. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it, the movie also uh, it has a Star Trek connection. Uh, Robert Picardo, who played the uh, um, the Hollow Doctor in Star Trek Voyager, uh, was in this as well. And Dick Miller wasn't like in everything. Um, so yeah, there tons. Yeah, of- there's an. Am- an amazing list of people um, on, on on this movie, and it's yeah. you know it's it really 
holds up very well even to today because it's enjoyable they film it mm. all in just one one area one small neighborhood type area um the uh it was on the universal back lot and um us, uh, the 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 house that they had for walter's house is the only building on that lot that hasn't changed at all it's still there well the um uh, also, oh, another uh, Rance, Rance Howard, uh, Ron Howard's dad, played one of the police detectives. Yeah, it's um, it's a really enjoy. And another funny thing for 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 the animal connection, there was an uh, a little toy poodle in this. Walter mm-hmm. had a toy poodle named Queenie. That's the same dog that played Precious in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, interesting. Uh, Joe, are you back with us? I am. Okay. Yes, I had a little doggy emergency. Oh, yes. well, I said you were taking a dump, uh, but then uh, uh, Michelle <laughs> Michelle oh. Mich- said it was probably a doggy emergency, so she she went. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so uh, but I I wonder the the toy poodle. I wonder if Bob Weatherwax knows who uh, the owner of that dog was. In uh, which movie? The Burbs and the Silent, Burb. Silence of the Lambs as well. The birds, the burbs, the burbs, like oh, the sub- burbs, suburbs. Yeah, yeah. There was a toy poodle oh. that was in that, and it's the same toy poodle that was in Silence of the Lambs. So, okay, yeah, that was probably after his time in Hollywood. When was Silence of the Lambs? Nineteen ninety one. Oh no, of course he was still probably. Yeah, I'll ask and, him. And uh, the the burbs was nineteen eighty six, right? Or earlier uh, than that. 89. Oh, 89. Wow. Okay. I, so, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's not far from Back to the Future. This is pretty much right the movie that right before uh, Tom Hanks blew up into a superstar, really. Yeah, but he was, you know, he was pretty popular then. You he know, was he was, for, you know, yeah. You know, slapstick comedies and stuff like that, like Splash and Big and stuff like that, but... You know, I think Philadelphia was probably his first real big breakout role. Yes, yeah, big dramatic role. Um, And it was funny about this movie. Everybody had so much fun on this movie that Tom Hanks personally bought everyone's sunglasses. And he left a personal thank you note to everyone in the cast and crew. Nice. He's just a stand-up guy. You know, that's why everybody calls him America's dad, you know? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So, um, all right. Um, uh, any any other trivia you want to add, uh, or uh, do we want to move on to uh, Mr. Bacon? Let's move on to Mr. Bacon because we have the most stuff on him, and he is a very another very uh, busy actor. Yeah. he's got several things coming out. You know, they're currently in like in post production and stuff like that now. So. So, uh, our first trailer for Kevin Bacon very early in his career. I think maybe what he probably did uh, Animal House before this and a couple other things. Another thing about this movie also is has some breakout um, special effects in it by Tom Savini. So, you know, it it is a classic in the horror genre. Yep. So here we go. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. It's Friday. It's not the 9th, but you know what it is. I've had this dream. I'm in a thunderstorm, and it's raining really hard. It sounds like pebbles when it hits the ground. I try to block out the sound with my hands, only it doesn't work. 
just keeps getting louder and louder. Then the rain turns to blood. It's just a dream. Are you crazy? We ain't gonna stand for no weirdness out here. Hello? you know that a young boy drowned here? His name was Jason. And today is his birthday. This place is cursed. You're doomed if you stay here. Yes, Friday. it's uh, yep, Friday the Thirteenth. You know the the only movie that Jason doesn't kill anybody in of this franchise. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So before, I mean, it, that this is this franchise really kind of had the the weirdest, most surreal kind of start to a slasher franchise. So, um, you know, obviously everybody's seen it. The mom is the killer, and Jason doesn't even show up until uh, the very end. But right, and you're not sure if it's a dream or what it is. Exactly. So. And Kevin Bacon probably had one of the most, it probably uh, disturbed me the most of just about any uh, kill I'd seen in a movie to that point. Because I was pretty young when I saw it. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you feel free to describe that. Okay, um, basically you have Kevin Bacon's character. He's one of the young camp counselors that's out there trying to get the camp ready for, for business again. And he's laying on a bed. And um, basically it's like a bed, like a slash cot. So it's not really sturdy. And there, all of a sudden this hand pops up from underneath the bed, grabs his forehead, presses it back into the pillow, and an arrow comes up through his neck. <laughs> yeah. It's and, pretty messed up. Yeah, the way, uh, and this is one of one of Tom Savini's more memorable kills. And what they did is basically they had Kevin Bacon, and he was it was his head, but there was a uh, a, a maquette a a made up chest and neck piece. Yeah, and so that they could they they could shove the arrow up through it. And it, it it was a it was a pretty dramatic, dramatic uh, uh, effect, and you know that's just Tom Savini and his his, his genius because a lot of these things he would do, you know, on the spot when when they would call you know for something you know they would they would think oh can we do this and Tom Savini would say let me think on it a moment he's like yep mm -hmm. <laughs> I got it yes and he he's just. Uh, he makes the movie uh, Ke Kevin's uh, ca character. It's you know your typical young, you know, uh, young kids, uh, young guys. So it's it's not really an intense role for him, but it it's done pretty well. Yeah, it, well, it's I mean it's it's a gruesome murder scene. So I can't believe there's a gift for that. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> there's a gift for everything nowadays. Yeah, really. Um. But I put a link in chat for a it's it's a show on Shutter right now, and it's uh it's about six and a half hours or so. 
but it takes chronologically the Friday the 13th movies and talks about each one of them. And it is narrated by Corey Feldman. And it has some really cool trivia and stuff in it and a lot of uh, talking from the actors all the way up to the remake of Friday the 13th mm-hmm. that had um, uh, Jared uh, Padalecki yep. yeah, in it. So it's it's very it's a very fun thing. I watched it over the course of three days and it was it was a blast for me to watch. Nice. So I, nice. Yeah. Um it's uh yeah, the uh and the score for this, the class the classic that was actually done by the composer and is his voice. He put it into a synthesizer. Nice. Very cool. I this I did not know. I appreciate that kind of uh detail in sound design that's very cool yeah that's where you find that you find out the cool stuff in the documentary they give you a lot of little in, in inside inside tidbits um but the um the next one that we're talking about um it is uh for me a really cool horror movie um it's uh it's called stir of echoes all right you ready for it Yes. Oh, I saw a guy who got a two-inch needle stuck into his arm while he was under hypnosis, didn't feel king. Okay, Kreskin, prove it. <clears throat> Hypnotize somebody. Yeah, do me. No. Come on. What's the worst that can happen? Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Why do I know that song? <laughs> Are you okay? What the hell did she do to me? I see a red door and I want to paint it He hasn't gone to work. He sleeps like 12 hours a night. Why are you digging? The man's switch got flipped. He's a receiver now. She's taking him away. She was here. What's the problem? I see people turn their heads and quickly look away. He can't stop it. He can't slow it down. He can't even figure it out. No! Whatever door you open in my mind, I want you to shut up. There you go. It's a nice cre it's a nice creepy movie. And he finds that I don't want to spoil it for everyone because this is a movie people can watch nowadays. Um mm-hmm. and it's a little little known one of his movies. Um, but he finds out some really creepy stuff about his neighborhood <laughs> because his mind basically gets opened by her hypnosis party trick, and he starts s- seeing spirits or echoes of the past. Yeah. And it, it 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 is pretty fun. And what's funny, one of the funny things about this movie is in the hypnotism scene, there's a scene of a safety pin being stuck through to- his hand. Um, that was not a special effect. They actually hired a stuntman to come in and have a safety pin pushed through his hand for the scene. Oh God, that's terrible. yeah. They didn't have Tom Savini to to, to, to help. <laughs> I guess not. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty disturbing about that. Um, 
Don't try another this at funny happy yeah another funny happy coincidence about the movie is there's a scene where he's in the backyard and he gets angry he's been digging up the backyard because he knows there's something he can't figure out what what is going on and he kicks a bucket towards the wall it wasn't supposed to break to hit and break the window but it did and they used it in the film because because uh, and Kevin Bacon just stayed in character and continued on with the scene wow and they really like that cut so nice nice so yeah he's he's such a pro i mean he he's good in you know and yeah i mean he's done a little bit of everything he even branched out into um uh the the x-men franchise he was in uh, the uh first class movie as uh, sebastian shaw i believe yes he was yes so great scene uh of him in the beginning uh with uh, young magneto as well yeah, what really cool about um, him is he does he does it he does it pretty pretty well all. I mean, he can do comedy, um, and he can dance, you know. Footloose, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he he great action, and you know he can play a, he can play a mean person too pretty well. But oh yeah, you know most yeah. And so I've I've really enjoyed his career. Um, the next movie trailer we have though, I think, is. Kevin Bacon at his most disturbing. And it's basically a modern version of the Invisible Man called Hollow Man. Right, here we go. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Ed. Your team's in earlier today. Something special going on? Sorry, Ed. You know the rules. If we're going to move forward, this is the next logical step. We're ready for you. Are you sure? There goes nothing. Sebastian? Are you in here? So, what's it like being a ghost? Ghosts are dead. I'm very much alive. The question is, what would you do if you knew you couldn't be seen? Trust your eyes. You rely on your senses. Sebastian, this is not funny. You think you're alone. Why did you have to go out in public? You have no idea what it's like. Power of it, the freedom. It's amazing what you can do when you don't have to look at yourself in the mirror anymore. Okay, Sebastian, fun's over. Tell us where you are. Sorry, Linda. You'll never be sure again. He could be here. He could be anywhere. There's more to fear than you can see. You have no idea how much fun this is. Yeah, that was a pretty creepy movie. 
yeah, he he brings some real intensity to the role, and he does play a really good bad guy. <laughs> you know, so yeah. um, there's some funny things about this movie. Um, they made an anatomically correct, totally working computer model of his body. Okay. Down to the last capillary. And that model actually has been donated for scientific research. Wow. You know, I'm kind of curious is to, to, to see this again and see how well the special effects hold up. Yeah, I didn't watch it again. I just watched, you know, the clips and stuff and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and to prepare and read up on it. But I remember when I first saw it, I really enjoyed it. But it really made me uncomfortable seeing Kevin Bacon in a role like that. You yeah. know, it was one of those things. Um, they, uh, during filming for the special effects, he had to wear these skin-tight costumes. Mm-hmm. Some of them are blue, some of them are green, gray, or black, depending on what sort of, you know, uh, 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 the filming they were doing. Yeah. And so, because it, it would aid with the visual effects. But uh, there were problems with his castmates. They, they said the hardest part of the role was not laughing at somebody painted in green, black, blue, or gray, <laughs> pretending to be mean. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. yeah. And that's a, that's a real testament to uh, a lot of actors, uh, you know, that are, uh, you know, uh, have been doing this motion capture stuff for so long now. Andy Serkis comes to mind. You know, what, what great performances these guys are able to give, even though they're dressed like, a, you know, a ridiculous um, Cirque du Soleil character or something, you know? Yes, yes. Especially with the ones with nowadays with the little balls on them. Oh, God. That makes it even more goofy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but no, that's, the, the you know, this is a very cool horror uh, movie. And, and again, a, a neat uh, retelling of uh, uh, The Invisible Man. Yeah, and he wanted to play this role because he wanted the chance to play a person whose morality just completely went out the window because of the power he possessed. Yeah. So. It's very cool. I love that gift, too. That's so creepy. So, uh, but all right. Anything else you want to add to that? Or do you want to get ready for your trailer break and let us know what we're going to hear? I'll tell you about the trailer break. That way, um, uh, Hollow Man's great. Um, the, the scene where they're pouring down the, the, the rubber, the, that silicon flesh-colored rubber that they put mm-hmm. on him so he could he could be seen. That was yeah. really creepy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of gooey. It's just like, ooh. But, yeah, um, yeah for the trailer break, we're going to have some fun tonight. As we mentioned on the top of the show, um, MGM has a, technically a sort of a birthday. It's Louis B. Mayer. Um, uh, July 4th. 1885, Louis B. Mayer uh, was born. And uh, wow. he's the second M in the MGM logo. Mm-hmm. So I went and into their catalog to find some movies that they had produced. And I came up with some goodies. Um, we have 1967, The Fearless Vampire Killers. This movie nice. was done, I think, two years before uh, before Sharon Tate was murdered, and she is in this movie. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. th- then we have House of Dark Shadows from 1970, a favorite of some of the people in chat. I know that. And we have The Hunger, 1980. David Bowie. Oh, I oh, love yeah. him. And a very, very young William Defoe plays a thug in this one. So. Oh, all right. So speaking of creepy guys, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somebody posted that that crazy Willem Dafoe gif. <laughs> so uh, I think it's one of the first gifts that comes up when you type in crazy. So <laughs> anyway, we'll be right back right after our big trailer break to talk about the Twilight Zone, a world of his own, season one, episode thirty-six. Right after this. Right now, I'd sell my whole head for ten cents. Who says vampires are no laughing matter? <laughs> they certainly are. Vampire killers, or, pardon me, but your teeth are in my neck. Jack McGarrett. Sharon Tate. Alfie Bass. Ferdy Maine. And Terry Dodds. Two men on a vampire hunt. Simple? They certainly are.
Miss Collins, vampire, takes a bride in a bizarre act of unnatural love. Come and see how the vampires do it. House of Dark Shadows. Nobody lives there. Sarah Roberts is in jeopardy. Hey, lady. How about it? Stay with her. Help her. For she has begun to feel the awful horror of The Hunger. John Blaylock. The Hunger has given him everlasting life. Until now, pray for him. Miriam Blaylock. She feeds one day in seven on the unsuspecting. And soon she will turn into something that you will never be able to forget. No matter how hard and how long you try, fear her. What have you done to me? Forever. And ever. And life signs terminate right here. beauty of Catherine Deneuve, the cruel elegance of David Bowie, the open sensuality of Susan Sarandon, combined to create a modern classic of perverse fear. Mysterious, sensual, strange, perverse, riveting. The Hunger. I think I killed somebody. I know I killed somebody. <laughs> Thank you, Tom Hanks. For the laughs. All right, welcome back to It Came From Cleveland, and uh, we're going to end the show with our uh, lightning round uh, Twilight Zone review. That's right, you know those notes. Rod Serling, we got him back. Um, Twilight Zone, Season 1, Episode 36. Uh, broadcast, uh, I believe, that it, I think it, it broadcast uh, 61 years ago, last week, last Friday. Um but uh, this is a, a, a really fun episode, a very familiar uh, actor in this, uh, who we've talked about on the show many times, um, and, and I can't remember his name, why can't... <laughs> Keenan Wynn. Why can't I remember? Keenan Wynn, thank you. So we've got that great uh, clip of him from, uh, from Herbie... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Alonzo Hawk uh, was his character in that, and uh, this is the. I'll tear his chicken liver gizzard to pieces. I'll stomp him silly. I'll take this letter knife and I'll stab that kid right in his ungrateful breastbone. You know me, Millicent. Normally I'm a kindly, fun-loving fellow, but when I get crossed, I go bananas. Yep, that's right. 
So, uh, <laughs> uh, Keenan Wynn uh, plays a, a playwright in uh, a world of his own. And uh, if you would like to uh, set this one up, Joe, why don't you uh, tell us uh, about the opening scene? Well, his wife, uh, Victoria, comes home. And through the window, she sees that her husband's having a drink with a very attractive young woman. That's right. Who was paying a lot of attention to him and uh, being affectionate. And and um, as she enters, uh, he, Keenan Wynn's character, he pull, pulls the tape out of his recording machine and gets rid of it. Well, so when I, she comes into the room. Yeah, yeah actually, ahead. I'm sorry. Let me go ahead. I, I completely forgot. I blew it. I should have set it up with the uh, the intro, with uh, the Rod Serling intro. Oh, the so, intro. So yeah. So let let, yes. let me do that, and then we'll uh, we'll elaborate. The home of Mr. Gregory West, one of America's most noted playwrights. The office of Mr. Gregory West. Mr. Gregory West, shy, quiet, and at the moment very happy. Mary, warm, affectionate. You really should be working, you know. You're nagging me. I'm only thinking of posterity. Think of me instead. Don't I always? Yes, you do. Dry enough? We'll let the master decide. Perfect, as always. Are you describing yourself, Mr. West? Let the mistress decide. She's decided. And the final ingredient, Mrs. Gregory West. again. I have to. Gregory, I'm home, darling. No, Greg. What else can I do? Are you working? Are you so afraid? I hope I'm not interrupting you. Darling, I'll only be a moment. I just want to come in and kiss you. <laughs> So yeah, so she she was looking through the window and saw the little romantic interlude that was taking place, and um, and then she uh, uh, well, like you said, Joe, we saw Keenan win with a pair of scissors, um, mm -hmm. but his wife Victoria enters the the uh, the house, and she was expecting to see somebody, but no, somebody. There was no somebody. <laughs> she, she, she was gone. 
Yeah. She checked everywhere. <laughs> yeah, she was checking for secret panels and and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and it uh, it wasn't it, she wasn't there. But uh, yeah, well, actually, I do have another clip uh, where Vic, his wife Victoria uh, insists she saw a woman. It's the strangest thing, but I was just standing outside this window only a moment ago, right here. You were. Yes, I was. And you'll never guess what I saw through that window, Gregory. Or at least you'll never guess what I thought I saw. A putty tat? I couldn't possibly guess. <laughs> I thought I saw a woman in your arms. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Yes, isn't that just too ridiculous? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, she she looked everywhere. There's nobody around, and then uh, the accusations start flying, um, and uh, she's insisting that uh, there was a woman there, and he's somehow sl- slipped her out, uh, and um, it gets a little uh, gets a little heated, not too too heated, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of suspicion swirling around. Yes. And there's a lot of back and forth until she gets him to admit the truth. Yeah. And uh, he, he elaborates uh, a little. <laughs> and little. he starts, yeah, he elaborates a lot, actually. And he, he starts right. uh, talking about uh, uh, how he has this has happened before but not just with a woman uh and uh i'll let him explain one night when i was working here right right up here in my office philip wainwright walked in through that door oh greg now really victoria you've got to believe me he walked in right through that door he came in here and he sat down in that chair Alive, real flesh and blood man. And I created him. Oh, my. What are you doing? I am afraid that psychiatry is the next on the agenda. You've got to believe me, Victoria. Characters in my plays do come alive. I've seen them, I've talked to them, I've even shaken hands with them. You even made love to them, remember? Yes, I mean, no! <laughs> you know how I work. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I mean, no! I dictate dialogue and stage business into the tape recorder. I describe any character I want, and if I do it well enough, they come to life. To life, Victoria! Yeah, so Michelle, he's got a, a touch of a god complex there. Yes, he mm. does. <laughs> Um, and you know, and, and Joe, you, you, uh, alluded to this earlier. Uh, he had a, uh, simple solution for getting rid of unwanted guests that he creates from his, <laughs> with yeah. his tape recorder. He just cuts them up. <laughs> just yes. Cuts. Uh, yeah. They go to the cutting, cutting room floor or the cutting room fireplace. Cutting room floor or fire, yeah. fire, fireplace. <laughs> yes. Just so. clip them and burn them. Right. Clip him and burn him. It's it's kind of a cruel process, but yeah, this is uh, he here he explains uh, 
to his wife Victoria what he does. I take my scissors. I snip off the part of the tape on which she is described. I roll the tape into a little ball. I throw it into the fireplace. She's gone. Uncreated. I'm going to have you committed. So what drives me crazy about this is they show him like snipping the tape, but they never show him like putting the tape back in the reel. Or, or, or taping it together again and having to yeah. uh, flip out the sprocket holes and all that. Yes. So I'm watching. I'm like, oh, he's just going to pick it up and start recording something else again. He didn't even spool it back, you know. Yes. If anybody's so. listening that doesn't know what a little reel-to-reel, the old reel-to-reel tape recorders look like, you know, they basically you know, were open top. You had two mm-hmm. big reels on it, and you had tape that wound around each reel and went into, you know, the, the sound playing device. Yeah. And it's like the precursor to the cassette tape. <laughs> yeah, it's before they shrank it down and stuck it inside a little plastic case. So, right. Uh, and back then back then if you had a problem with it, you would have to splice it and put clear tape mm-hmm. on it and cut the sprocket holes. And, you know, it's kind of like the same thing you would do for movie theater film. Yeah. Just yeah. on a smaller size. Yes, actually for a broken VHS tape as well. So <laughs> <laughs> um but uh but yeah, you know, this is uh this is a fun episode. I think it's kind of a an interesting one, especially like when we get to the end of the episode. I might have to skip over some of these clips because I, I think I cut out too many. Um, but uh, so so essentially, um, you know, and of course this this episode is just riddled with misogyny too. Uh, but again, oh, yeah. product of its time, and uh, you know nothing we can do about it now except try and enjoy uh, uh, some of it. But uh, yeah, so so Joe he ends up uh, summoning uh, the the woman that uh, he he deleted, um, mm-hmm. and uh, she uh, has a conversation with with uh, the misses he and the misses. Yes, and um, in that conversation, um, she does ask him don't do this again <laughs> like yeah it's a little creepy making me yeah <laughs> and unmaking me um because you know it's like blinking in and out you know what i mean yeah so exactly. um yeah and like, at at this like this uh, juncture yeah. his wife tries to get out of the house Yes, uh, she does try to get out of the house after he makes an un- he makes an unmakes Mary, and she she tries to there was get, an, she tries to get him committed. Was, Go ahead. Uh huh. And yeah, then, she, then um, <laughs> there was an elephant involved. Well, yes, there was, and I have a clip for that. Where are you going? I'm going to the nearest lawyer, and I'm going to have you put away for the rest of your unnatural life. Away from tape recorders and away from me. I'm going to live all by myself in perfect peace and harmony in this house, free of your diseased mind. No, Victoria! Yes, Victoria. 
A giant red-eyed elephant is standing in my hallway and will not let her pass. Oh, Gregory, don't be ridiculous. So there was an elephant, an elephant, as Popeye would say. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, uh, she, so she runs back in, and uh, he he deletes the elephant, uh, and uh, and in Michelle, this is where it takes kind of I think a pretty dark turn, honestly. Um, mm. Where uh, he reveals a wall safe uh, to his wife. Yeah, because you know, after you know, seeing the elephant, who wouldn't believe something weird's going on with the elephant? But she doesn't. She just thinks he's insane and, and crazy. So he pulls out that section of tape um, and explains that it contains her description. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we've, yeah, we've got uh, he. He's in the wall safe. And uh, all is laid bare to Victoria. This is a long clip, so bear with me. And then we'll only have one left after this. How long has that been there? Well, ever since you and I were uh, married. <laughs> what is that? What is this supposed to mean? Now, Victoria, shall I put this back in the safe or shall I throw it in the fire? Oh, Gregory, you're not seriously trying to make me be... I am telling you, Victoria, look at yourself. Regal, beautiful. You could have any man in the world that you wanted. Haven't you ever wondered how you happen to get stuck with me? Well, I'm telling you, you're impeccable, flawless. You're just the sort of wife that I always used to think I wanted more than anything else in the world. Is this another one of your tawdry little tricks? Now, why do you think I got so upset when you came back here a while ago? Not because of Mary, but because you came back against my will for the first time. For the first time. Do you think you're frightening me? No, I guess not. Or you're beyond that. I made you too strong. I forgot to add a little human frailty. Well, I asked for it. I'll put this back in the safe. I've got... Gregory, would you like to know what I think of your childish nonsense? <laughs> this. Victoria! She threw it in the fireplace! Oh, Greg. Oh. Greg, I feel so strange. I... You, you don't mean that you were telling me the truth. You were right. Victoria! Now, I told her, I told her, she just wouldn't listen to me. Her name, her name is Mrs. Victoria West.
Why not leave well enough alone? Wow. Her name is Mary. Oh, see what he did there? That's crass. I see. That is crass. Oh, low. <laughs> low, low, low. Yeah, Michelle. I mean, what what did you think of that? You know, it's like, oh, I made her and I unmade her, and I think I'm gonna go for the new and improved model. It's kind of like, oh, I don't know, certain uh, world leaders, former world leaders, um, uh, upgrade. Oh yeah, tra yeah, trade a new wife in for the old one. You know. Just, just yeah. don't don't care, you know? Yeah, wow. So, I will say the one redeeming quality of this episode, you know, it's fun, it's plucky, it's whatever, you know, the elephant's fun and everything. Uh, Keenan wins, always great. Uh, but uh, the one redeeming uh, quality of this was it, it had some nice, uh, you know, it, well, the Twilight Zone always had uh, a breaking of the fourth wall with Rod Serling's presence, but this kicked it up a whole, to a whole new level. <laughs> oh, this one was this one was great. So yeah. this was this honestly, this is my favorite part of the episode, and I hope I got this audio right. But uh, but yeah, so Rod Serling uh, comes back in, sitting on the desk uh, in uh, in the house, and this is what happens. We hope you enjoy tonight's romantic story on the Twilight Zone. At the same time, we want you to realize that it was, of course, purely fictional. In real life, such ridiculous nonsense could never... Rod! You shouldn't. I mean, you shouldn't say such things as nonsense and ridiculous. Well, that's the way it goes. <laughs> Into the fireplace. Leaving Mr. Gregory West, still no, shy, still quiet, very happy, and apparently in complete control of the Twilight Zone. All right, there you go. So you had the double Rod Serling ending there, but uh, the uh, I got my scissors out for Foley. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> look out, Joe. You? I'm gonna cut you. you. <laughs> who are you uncreating? <laughs> I'm just gonna cut don't out. Me. I'm just gonna cut Sharky's knives out of the equation. Okay, so. don't throw them in the fire. <laughs> Sharky, Sharky, as you said that, Sharky got up and looked at me. <laughs> nice. Uh, but yes. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So overall, this is an okay episode. Uh, if you can look past the uh, the the you know foibles of the time, I suppose, Michelle. I don't even know if I'm using the word foibles the right way. I can't remember the meaning of that word. Why can't I remember? Yeah. So. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it it, uh, it has some pretty bad tropes, 
And uh, but it, uh, again, I think by the end, uh, and and seriously, Rod Serling called it a romantic tale. Uh, there was no romance there. Um, oh heck no, no, <laughs> no just it's very Stepfordy type, uh, you know, girl he was looking for. So yeah, yeah, but uh, but the end, I think, uh, definitely redeemed the episode to a certain degree. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, and again, what you know, kind of a neat way to end uh, a season, you know, end the first season with that oddball thing of you know clipping Rod Serling out of the the last episode, but then he came, then he bounced right back. So, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I we're uh, uh, we're running into overtime right now. The end credits have begun to play. Uh, I think we should wrap things up right now. But there was a fun show. It was good to have a week off uh, of talking. And uh, I'm glad to talk to you guys again tonight. And I think it was a lot of fun. And I hope Miles is feeling better. Um, but, yeah, so give us a couple final thoughts there, Joe. Well, uh, again, I hope Miles is feeling better. Uh, I know he felt under the weather. So uh, I hope that all clears up. And, uh and uh, have a happy weekend, and I hope you don't swelter too much. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty hot. mild. It's, it's hot. It's mild here. We were, we've been very overcast and rainy the last few days, so it is very pleasant. I haven't broken a sweat once today. Um, and uh, and yeah, we're all suffering from a a variety of uh, maladies here lately. So, but Miles, yes. uh, uh, you know, I don't feel your pain. I feel mine. Uh, but I, I'm familiar with your pain. Uh, and Michelle, uh, thank you so much. Uh, great job as always, procuring lots of fun trailers and trivia. So, uh, what do you got on the way out? Um, not much. I will extend your uh, kind words to Miles. Um, hopefully, this too shall pass. Yeah. And <laughs> um, <laughs> and 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 hopefully next week won't be a nightmare for for me. So we shall see yeah. what will happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was a lot of fun, and I love delving into stuff, and I like you know finding the connections, and it was fun to do a, like a little vampire set of trailers tonight. So oh was, yeah, for blast. sure, for sure. I'm a sucker for a good vampire. Ah, see, <laughs> ah, <laughs> there you go. Blue, blue. All right, good night, everybody. Hey, guess what? My privacy fence is going to be done on Monday. I'm so excited. So, uh, but everybody, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week right here on It Came From Cleveland. And so we played the game until the sun began to set and all the monsters were dead.